And now, here's Gene Steinberg. This is a special day for the Paracast. The Paracast has been on the air for five years. They said it couldn't be done. And after hearing the show, they might even say that it shouldn't be done. But we're here, we're still alive, and we're still kicking. And we're still kicking the people in the UFO field and the paranormal field who are trying to make a mess of everything. So I've assembled present and former co-hosts so we could have a roundtable discussion and answer your questions. Now, I posted a special forum thread of the Paracast forums at forum.paracast.com called Questions for Fifth Anniversary Show. Figured we'd get a few questions. We have dozens of questions. We have so many questions here, ladies and gentlemen. We could do a show just with the questions and then do three or four sequel shows. But first, let me introduce our guests. Of course, our co-host is Chris O'Brien. Our guest co-host, Greg Bishop. You haven't been here in a while, Bishop. What are you up to? What, I've been, what have I been doing? I'm looking for a job. That's my main job right now. Uh, other than that, I'm doing um, trying to fix my radio site for Radio Mysterioso. So that should be uh, a treat coming up in the next few weeks. We can't wait. We also gave Greg some web space in case he needs it. Paul Kimball, have you become the box office sensation in terms of filmmaking yet? No, but the nice thing about what I get to do is I don't really care about what the box office is. I'm pretty sure my investors do and will in the future, but uh, I just like making good films, so that's what I'm still working away at. Can you tell us what you have coming out that we might look forward to? Well, Eternal Kiss is um, finally going to get released this year. It's uh, it's actually available for free for two weeks, um, although by the time this show airs, it won't be available anymore. So I've also taken uh, Best Evidence, the original version that aired on Space and TVNZ in 2007. I have put that up for free. You can watch it on the Paracast forums, actually. I, I posted it there. And we're working on an enhanced DVD set with a lot of extras, new narration, that should be available from the looks of it mid to late spring. That one I won't be putting up for free because my investors don't like it when I do that with new stuff. But uh, yeah, besides, that's, that's you have to buy groceries. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, you have to pay people back who were kind enough to put money into your film projects in the first place. You know, that'll be great. There'll be a lot of good new stuff. And I have a, I have a couple of feature films in development right now that look good to go into production this summer. So that's really what I'm focusing on at the moment. So then we'll be checking Box Office Mojo to see what's happening. Or Netflix or a broadcaster near you or film festivals, which for independent films are usually the first place where you're able to see something. Chris O'Brien, while this show is being heard on the 27th of February, you and I will be roaming the halls of this convention in the Phoenix area. What's that about? Oh, boy. Um, well, the UFO Congress has uh, been resurrected uh, after the Bill and Terry Brown had it uh, since the early 90s. And a gentleman uh, named John Rayo and his organization, Open Minds, have sort of taken it over uh, to a certain degree, and they've um, revamped it. They've shortened it. They've... Uh, attempted to, I guess, upscale the speakers a little bit from years past, and they're doing really well. Uh, you know, they've pretty much sold it out, and uh, by the time this airs, we will <laughs> we will have had a, uh, a pretty interesting time down there. Uh, I'm going to be the face of the thing. I'm going to have a film crew, and uh, we'll have been walking around all week uh, with a microphone. So it should be fun. And some of that stuff you'll hear on the Paracast, because I'll be there at the same right. time with my 
studio equipment and your studio equipment and, of course, my MacBook Pro because we're all Apple all the time here except for Paul Kimball. But we won't hold that against him because I kind of like the guy. In any case, we will have something featured in our shows in March from that convention. Okay, let's go to the questions. Let's go to the peanut gallery here. And we have the first question. It's actually five questions. Again, these are the kinds of questions where we could do a whole show. All right? It comes from ExoDoc. It says, Happy Fifth, guys. Thank you so much. Question one. Could you list some of the more pertinent reasons why the field of ufology has been bogged down for several years. This is a Paul Kimball question. Paul, let's hear your reaction. The primary answer, the easiest answer for me, would be to say it's bogged down because it focuses on theories, on people arguing about what they believe the UFO phenomenon might represent or not, whether it's aliens from outer space or military intelligence projects or extra-dimensionals or crypto-terrestrials or whatever it is. So instead of accepting it for what it is, a genuine mystery that should be of interest to anybody that is interested in mysteries, that might even have national security implications if you take it far enough, whatever, there's a re- there are reasons why you would want to be interested in this. Instead, it's, it's within the UFO research community, at least the public UFO research community itself, it's degenerated into interpersonal conflicts, turf wars, and arguments over things that nobody on any side can prove. And research as a result has suffered. And nothing really new, and I mean genuinely new and mysterious, in my opinion, has come out in years and perhaps even decades. And I don't think that's what people are focusing on. So sometimes people like Greg and Nick, Redfern and I, Mac Tony's before he passed away was like this too, can sound disenchanted, um, cranky, confrontational, whatever word you want to use, that's because we are. Because we look around and we see that a subject we're interested in that we find mysterious and compelling and thought-provoking is being turned into a laughingstock by people that are more interested in making themselves a name or in uh, promoting their theories or whatever it is that drives them than actually taking a look at the mystery with a sense, and here's what's really missing. Here, here it is in a nutshell, guys. To my point of view, what's missing is the following two words, gee whiz. And even as I say it, I sound, you know, like depressed. So I'll try and do it in a happier way. Gee whiz. I mean, like, <laughs> you know, the, that late 1940s, early 1950s thing where you just looked and went, wow, something interesting, something amazing might be going on. We might be interacting in some way, shape, or form with some other intelligence. How is that not fun and exciting? And somehow UFO research has managed to, the UFO community, ufology, whatever you want to call it, has sucked all of that energy out, and it's become petty, bitter, vindictive, and frankly, not worth the time of anyone whose IQ has three numbers in it as opposed to two. And so that's the problem as I see it. Greg Bishop. (laughs) Very well stated, Paul. Greg Bishop, what's your reaction? Well, everything that Paul said, obviously. And I I see it as as, uh, too many people with with not too many bright ideas 
arguing the loudest and making the biggest noise. And I'm talking about on, on, on the anti, if you want to call that, UFO side and pro-UFO side, whatever that is. The loudest people tend to be the, the least creative and dumbest people. It, it seems that way in any field of endeavor, but in something as um, unregulated, un, um, uh, uh, unaccepted as UFO study, it just makes it even worse and pushes it further off the map of people uh, of the interest of people who are uh, interested in the in the mystery and are interested in I don't know about a solution because I don't know if that's uh, possible right now but I don't think a solution will elude us and the problem with uh, not having people outside of the UFO community interested in that is because that's where I think some sort of breakthrough in thinking or direction will come from. Not from somebody who's been studying UFOs for eight zillion years or um, picking debris up uh, off of um, remote places in New Mexico or wherever and saying this is UFOs from other planets. It's going to come from a physicist or a sociologist or some kind of thinker who's completely invested in some other sort of pursuit that looks at the UFO subject with new eyes, with fresh eyes, and with their background and with um, cutting-edge thought, uh, research, and um, theories that uh, haven't been applied before that can be applied to UFO mystery. I, I, and that's that's what's holding it back is, is uh, egos, loud people, uh, keeping smart, interested people who otherwise could make a really big difference, I think, away from the subject. This so answers, by the way, is- several questions, and we'll get to more of this in a okay. moment. We have our co-hosts, Chris O'Brien, guest co-hosts, Greg Bishop, former co-hosts, think about that, Paul Kimball, on our fifth anniversary episode, The Paracast. Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number, 1-877-804-MY-TV. The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. So, disable the cable and get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call 1-877-804-MY-TV right now to sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 and up to four rooms. And there's no equipment to buy. That includes your free HD TV upgrade, your free DVR upgrade, and your free professional installation. And the best part, the pristine digital picture and sound. Call 1-877-804-MY-TV. So, what are you waiting for? Pull out your major credit or debit card. Call 1-877-804-MY-TV. 1-877-804-MY-TV. Disable the cable, cut costs, and get more. Call 1-877-804-MY-TV. 1-877-804-MY-TV. Making the right decisions is a challenge to investors. Are we going to see economic growth, slide into a recession, or at worst, depression? Hi, Ted Anderson from Midas Resources. We all know when a company acts irresponsibly, divesting ourselves in a move towards safety is prudent. When the market becomes volatile, U.S. Treasuries are a safe haven. But what do you do when the U.S. government overextends itself and spends beyond its means? Many investors are turning toward gold as a common-sense alternative to traditional paper investments. Midas Resources has put together a powerful book titled 10 Reasons to Own Gold, discussing costs, benefits, risks, featuring full-color illustrations, weights, and measures. The book is free and can be yours by calling 800-686-2237. Paper investments are dwarfed by gold's 6,000-year history. Discover how gold may be right for you and your IRA by calling 800-686-2237. Whether buying or it's time for you to sell, the book is free. Call 800-686-2237. 
Hello, folks. This is Steve Shank. This week, we introduced a new product from eFoods Direct, corn chowder. And let me tell you, its homemade flavor is absolutely amazing. You know eFoods. We've brought you the best food on the planet for years. As you know, we pioneered a line of quick-fix meals that are super easy to fix. Obviously, winter is upon us. You can save 20% on the wonderful soup and bakery special. It's a lot of food for less than a dollar a serving. It includes the new corn chowder I told you about and the other wonderful soups. It also includes the delicious cornbread muffins and buttermilk biscuits to go with the soup. So you have great food you can serve this winter or jumpstart your food savings account for the future. Saving 20%. Call 800-409-5633 on the web, efoodsdirect.com slash alex. That's 800-409-5633 or on the web, efoodsdirect.com slash alex. Did you know that drinking pure, high-alkaline water is one of the most important factors in maintaining high energy and vibrant health? Most experts agree that the water you drink should be at a pH level of 8 or higher. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops, available only at AlkaVision.com, combine a unique formula of only the most alkaline minerals. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops alkalize your water, ridding the body of harmful toxins, and helps you regain health and energy. Alkalizing your water by simply adding 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops helps the body rid itself of acidic waste, increases oxygen content, and raises the pH of your body to healthy levels. And bacteria and viruses cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops for only $29.95 at AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 269-409-1776. 269-409-1776. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com today. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com Get in on all the action at forum.theparacast.com We're talking with our former co-host Paul Kimball, Greg Bishop, our guest co-host, co-host Chris O'Brien. This is the fifth anniversary episode of the Paracast. In other words, it's a special occasion, a special Events celebrating something that I didn't even expect to happen when the PowerCast started in February of 2006. We have basically been answering two or three questions from ExoDoc at once, which is, of course, you know, what's wrong with the UFO field? How can we fix things up? Chris, what's your reaction? Well, again, I, I absolutely agree with uh, Paul and Greg in terms of describing the general atmosphere that's been very detrimental to, to the field it's it's always ebbed and flowed, I think, from the very beginning, but it, it seems to be getting uh, worse as <laughs> the years go by. Another thing that, that I uh, have a particular interest in is actual hard data gathering. And th- as Paul pointed out, there seems to be a lot of theorizing going on and a lot of, um, you know, some some better than others in terms of the quality of the ideas. But there's not very much hard data being gathered. And one of the things that I... Am try, attempting to do uh, is get funding to 
put together a hard data monitoring setup in a in a place that's known for its activity. And I think this kind of approach potentially could be the fastest way to garner uh, the respect of the scientific community and uh, academia and and also potentially provide some sort of scientific uh, understanding. And, you know, wow, wouldn't it be great, even a breakthrough uh, in terms of, of increasing our level of understanding. And uh, I think that this is an area that could be the antithesis to all the backbiting and, and, and people, you know, fighting over whose theory is correct and, and, and the rest of it that Paul and, and Greg you just pointed out. So that's kind of my additional uh, comment to, uh, I think, what the main problem is. And that's a lot of infighting by, by loud people who perhaps should do a little bit more thinking as opposed to flapping their Opinions. They would serve as great members of Congress, I would think. In any case, we have, by the way, so many questions, we can't ask them all. It would take a 10-hour show. So what Chris and I are doing is we'll kind of give you cross-sections and see if one question relates to another and see where it goes. Now, one question someone asked here was, what would you guys say are the top five researchers of all time, who are the best today? And I guess the second question implies some are no longer with us. So let me start with Greg Bishop. What's your reaction? Top five. Top, top five, huh? Uh, let's see. And this is putting aside thing, you know, I, things that I disagree with on, on different people. Because I, it, just because you disagree with somebody doesn't mean you can't think they're a good researcher. Um, Valet and Kiel, obviously. Uh, Jerome Clark is one of them. Uh, Kevin Randall, I have great disagreements with him. I, I don't have the background and the, and the research muscle that he has, but I think he's a really good and well-rounded researcher, too. How many is that? Is that five? One, two, three, four. That's five. Hey, you're done. Have a nice <laughs> day, Greg. Now, Paul, well, you have been collecting, you know, surveys of one sort or another, you know, best troublemaker or biggest troublemaker. So the top five researchers of all time, Paul Kimball. Who would you name and your Uncle Stan can be among them if you want? Sure. Uh, to me, it's relatively easy. Uh, J. Allen Hynek. Uh, oh, yeah. Dr. Jim McDonald, who I think is probably the best researcher of all time. And I think, you know, it's like asking filmmakers, who's your favorite filmmaker, as opposed to people who watch films. They might say Michael Bay or something. But if you ask filmmakers, they start giving you names that maybe you're not familiar with. Jim McDonald is a name that I think you would find if you polled UFO researchers, the serious ones, I think McDonald's name would be at or very near the top of everyone's list, but he's largely unknown and forgotten outside of serious UFO research. That's two. Jacques Vallée would be three. Richard Hall and Jerome Clark, Jerry Clark and Dick Hall, I would put them together. They're uh, I, I find it hard to separate the two because I've seen so many of their postings on UFO updates over the years that I'm going to put 1A and 1B there. And you know what? Stan Friedman, despite whatever disagreements I would have with him over Roswell or some other things, I think Stan has been a tireless researcher for the last 35 or 40 years. So that would be my top list. And I think they all bring something interesting and different, or in the case of Dick Hall, and Heineck and McDonald, who are no longer with us, they brought something. They all bring or brought something very interesting, different, a set of expertise, a commitment to the subject, open mind, open-minded, but also skeptical when needed. And I think in varying degrees, some more than others. And so, yeah, I think that's uh, that would be my list. It's a pretty good list, too. Now, I'll just drop in my list a little bit before we have Chris. Most of the people you've heard mentioned from Greg and Paul, I'd include... 
I might also include Major Donald Kehoe, not because he gave us anything original, but he made it possible for a lot of people who otherwise would have not taken UFOs seriously to look at it carefully. So for that alone, the way he publicized it, I think he deserves some kind of place in the sun. Again, I didn't agree with Major Kehoe. I met him several times. I think I did one of his last interviews, as a matter of fact, which is lost in the annals of time. I submitted it to a publisher who never paid me for the article, which is why I forgot about it. Chris O'Brien, your top five. Well, I, I know I'm kind of going back a little ways here, but one, I think one of the earliest, uh, I think most admired person, I th- in my mind, should be Charles Ford. Hmm. And uh, Ford, Valet, uh, Keel, I think uh, uh, James McDonald, again, uh, as Paul mentioned, uh, should be up there and uh, possibly Heineck. Well, that covers that pretty quickly. Let's get to another question here from Dying Sun. And by the way, Gene, yeah, I can interrupt for just a second. Let's ask ourselves this question. Sure. How many of how many of those people have begun their career in the last 20 years of all the ones we just named? How many of them began their career, even say after 1980, 30 years? None. Not, and going back to your first question about the problems of UFO research or ufology, why it's bogged down, as good as all of those people are that we just named, none of them began their careers within the last 30 years. Well, in more fact, to the point, Paul, is the fact that some are no longer with us. Others are in their 60s and 70s, so maybe their best years are behind them. So where is the current generation of UFO investigators? That might also be another question, and it's implied in some places amongst the list I have here. But let's go into that. Young researchers, anybody has potential of that kind of greatness? Greg Bishop? Well, geez, I can't think of any right now except for possibly Nick. And Chris, of course, geez. Um, because it, it's, it, I think the, the potential for these people is, is uh, the younger people has not uh, been uh, realized yet. And the other thing is that... Um, I think a lot of the really good researchers are people you never hear of. People you just, you know, they, they don't um, they don't pop up on news shows. They don't pop up in lectures. They don't write any books, maybe. But they but they you see them sometimes at conventions and maybe sometimes on message boards and all that. And I think the good research and the good thought are coming from these quiet people that you you, you never hear of. And um, pulling all these threads together is something that um, I like to do. I, I think sometimes I just call myself a cheerleader for the stuff that interests me. We have Greg Bishop, Paul Kimball, Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Ray Perkins a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! of the Rockwoods. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S 
Attack, Attack of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. The food storage industry leader has done it again. Introducing FDG Clubs and Survival Bucks from the Freeze-Dry Guy. For over 39 years, the Freeze-Dry Guy has served various government agencies and the private sector with the finest in storable foods and emergency rations. If you've wanted to build emergency food supplies but couldn't afford it, now you can. Go to freezedryguy.com, click on products, and look for the Freeze-Dry Guy Clubs to pay as you go. Now you can build food storage without going into debt. Choose from a payment range of $95 to $450 per month. Our clubs work with everyone's budget. Plus, when you join Freeze-Dry Guy Clubs, you'll get additional rewards. For example, this month, get 10% back in survival bucks on all purchases in the Freeze-Dry Guy product line, plus free shipping within the lower 48 states on any order amount. Hurry, go to freezedryguy.com or call 866-404-3663. That's freezedryguy.com or call 866-404-3663. The Freeze-Dry Guy, the best you can buy. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over five years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System today, complete with two black Berkey elements for only $209 and the Berkey guy will include three sport Berkey water bottles and ship everything to you free of charge. That's right, three sport Berkey water bottles and free shipping. An $87 value, yours free. Call the Berkey guy at 1-877-886-3653. That's 1-877-886-3653. Or order online at goberkey.com. That's goberkey.com today. It's the winter cold and flu supplement sale at HerbalHealer.com. Take advantage of Herbal Healer Academy's incredible savings on the best cold and flu supplements available. Many of you know elderberry is exceptional against viral infections. Right now, Herbal Healer Academy has elderberry power. Regularly priced at $16.95, now incredibly low at only $10 for 60 vegetarian caps. For children and seniors, our Herbal Healer Academy Flu Away Elderberry Liquid is only $13 for a 4-ounce bottle. Also on Super Sale, olive leaf capsules, oregano oil plus capsules, and our incredible Respirate formula, Oregacillin Physician Strength capsules for your lungs. Normally $34.95, now just $25. Hit the winter specials link at HerbalHealer.com for these cold and flu supplement specials and other on-sale products like apple cider vinegar, brain power, and neuro recovery. New customers get a free catalog with your first order. Log on and hit the winter specials now at HerbalHealer.com. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. This is Hilly Rose, and I hope that you do listen to the Paracast because you will learn a great deal about the paranormal. We return, fifth anniversary episode of the Paracast. My co-host is Chris O'Brien. We have Paul Kimball and Greg Bishop joining us. I can't promise that they will agree or disagree with regard to what they say about these subjects, but everything is fascinating here. Now, I'm trying to think also, the people who are under 50, who got involved in UFO research 
after 1980. Who are they? Chris O'Brien, how do you find yourself being included amongst the list of, shall we say, younger researchers? Well, you got started before 1980, though. Well, not a fit, not in an, any sort of official capacity. I've always had an interest since I was very young. But uh, you know, I got started in in the early '90s, really, in terms of uh, devoting time, energy, resources, and uh, and really get diving into it uh, as fully as possible. But in answer to the question about young researchers, I, I I do have a certain amount of respect for John Greenwald. I, I think he's done an amazing job with the FOIA requests and his Black Vault website. I think that that's a, a tremendous resource uh, for people in the field, and uh, he's someone that I think should be mentioned. Also, Chris Abeck and his research work with Valet on Wonders in the Sky, this uh, most recent book that Valet uh, has been a part of. I think Chris Abeck is, is a person, a quiet trooper, um, who has some real skill in uh, ferreting out uh, historical cases. Other than that, uh, you know, it's, dang, David Perkins would be somebody I think that doesn't get enough uh, mention. Tom Adams is another one who uh, doesn't get uh, mentioned very often anymore. Uh, there have been, you know, there have been some some unsung heroes that uh, have fallen by the wayside, like Tom, uh, unfortunately, uh, who I believe is out of the field, at least publicly. And uh, I, I think part of the problem is uh, the, the kids, uh, their attention spans are <laughs> quite short and they don't. I, I think I don't want to use too broad of a brush here, but I think a lot of the kids, they just assume that these that these subjects are real and they don't want to do the heavy lifting. They, they just, you know, they'll get their uh, political news from the Daily Show. They'll uh, tune in to Coast to Coast occasionally to uh, get a chuckle. And, and they're just, they, they don't have the dedication and the drive to, to really try to get to the bottom of it. They're lacking, as Paul put it, the gee whiz factor. And, that's, and I think that that's one of the main uh, reasons why we don't see, you know, the average age of UFO conferences <laughs> below the age of 70. What's also unfortunate here is as the audience dies off, the conventions get, you know, less well attended and they don't occur anymore. You think about MUFON. Now, how many of the people at MUFON are in the 60s and 70s or maybe 80s? How many younger people join MUFON? Good question. Here's another question, speaking of which. Do we need conventions anymore? That's another question. Well, I'll tell you what. You just asked it. Let's do that one before I ask the next question. So since you posed the question... Greg Bishop, answer it yourself. Go ahead. I think we need maybe a few conventions just because people like getting together. But because of the Internet, I don't think we really actually need to physically be around each other anymore and spend all that money. Um, uh, the first touch is great. I think it should still be there. And uh, But if uh, conventions almost disappeared, I would probably not be very uh, – I, I wouldn't be sorry to see them go that much uh, unless, like uh, we've been discussing, a new crop of incredibly great researchers comes up. Then I suppose I'd like to meet and talk to them. But I can also do that by chat or by phone. So um, it'd be, I haven't seen anybody do it yet, but an all-online convention uh, would be great. Um, That's a great idea. And I think some people have made noises about it, but it hasn't actually uh, come to full fruition yet. Can you set up a group meeting, though, with enough people? I'm not talking about Skype. I'm thinking maybe like GoToMeeting, one of our former sponsors from Citrix, GoToMeeting.com. And there are other companies that do this where you can have an online meeting with lots of people, and they can all participate together. Of course, you all have to have an Internet connection, so therefore Jim Mosley is, is out the door. He can never come to one because he will never have an Internet connection. Paul, what's your feeling? My feeling is that none of us, 
and I, I include us here, but certainly those other researchers we mentioned, none of us understands Generation Y. Um, and because of the technological shift, there is a massive difference between how they look at information and the sharing and exchange of it and how my generation, which, you know, is not that old. I'm only 44. But and we're certainly not over the hill. But I don't consider and I'm talk I'm not talking about people who are under 50. I'm talking about where are the people under 25. These are an yeah. incredibly I was at a um, uh, Telefilm Canada put on a mar- an Internet marketing distribution and financing seminar uh, a week and a half ago that I went to. And very much a lot of gee whiz stuff from the from that point of view, but things like Indiegogo and Kickstarter, how film musicians knew this ten years ago, but how film is changing, how you can raise money on the internet to do specific projects, how you build communities, but but how the generations look at these things differently, and so if you're talking about conferences, the older generation, even my generation, perhaps would see it as there goes Stan Friedman or whomever standing on stage delivering a lecture to 300 people sitting and listening to them. That is not how information is exchanged with the younger generation today. They ran a series of studies and they showed it's a generation that's much more hopeful than mine was. You know, the Nirvana slacker Generation X thing. They're very hopeful. They get engaged in a wide range of things, so they're not lazy. And if you watch the any protests, you know, WTO or anything, these are people that if you motivate them, will go out and actually participate, which I don't recall my generation doing. I don't, I don't remember any protests in the 80s or the 90s, really. So an untapped market out there, and I think the problem is not them. The problem is the failure of the UFO community, research community, and I'll even say the serious UFO research community, to engage them in a way that is meaningful for them, that speaks to their language and how they interact with each other, and just trying to understand them. And it's been an, it's been an abject failure. And the result will be that ufology, whatever it is, is, you know, it's like the, the parrot in Monty Python skit. It's, it's resting, it's pining for the fjords of Norway, and it's almost gone. And I think that's that might not be a bad thing because something new is going to replace it. And I think it's going to be more in tune with what those that younger generation is interested in. And then it's going to be us that has to adjust to how they do things. And that's probably a good thing. Yeah, exactly what Paul said. Everything I was trying to say, he elaborated perfectly. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't I couldn't uh, agree more. Uh, I really do see a major generational gap, uh, as Paul pointed out, between the, uh, you know, the original vanguard uh, that's still around in this field and how they disseminate information to one another. It's old school. We're, we're in the 21st century now, and we need to adapt the technology in such a way that it keeps the, the younger generations engaged. Uh, like Paul said, we need to come up with a common, common ground and, and common languaging. It all boils down to languaging. And I think the whole idea of uh, community, as Paul pointed out, too, is very important. If you can get people motivated, get them interested in a particular community, I think your your chances of uh, succeeding are, are greatly increased, really. Can we exploit, like, Twitter and Facebook for something like this? I mean, we all have presences on Facebook and Twitter, but I don't know that we're exploiting them into the way that it could be exploited. No, no UFO researcher that I know of is, and I include myself, you know, I'm not a UFO researcher, and to me it's a, it's a part-time interest. So if I'm going to exploit social media, it will be for my business, you know, making films and stuff. But nobody that I know of is really exploiting it. And you need, Chris talked about the need 
to, well, you didn't mention it specifically, but it's implied that if you're going to do field research, you do need money. Equipment can be expensive. Even the inexpensive equipment can be expensive. You also need, frankly, I think probably maybe to hire some people if you had an organization. However you want to look at it, you're going to need some resources. There are ways to use social media to raise You don't just want people chatting on an Internet forum. That's useful. It's a good first step. But there has to be an end game. And the end game has to be to get them involved in one of two ways, either actually doing the work themselves, and some will, or providing, frankly, money and resources. As simple as, hey, everybody, go on coast to coast with, say, three million listeners and try and get one percent of the people that are listening. Appeal directly to them and say, we have this fund. We want each of you to donate ten dollars. That's a that's a happy meal at McDonald's or whatever. Ten dollars. Each of you, 30,000 people. You know, there's $300,000 that would fund a reasonably half-decent research effort for a year. Paul Kimball, Greg Bishop here, co-host Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E-Soft.com. Becoming a modern smoker is now easier and more cost-effective, thanks to LeSig. Traditional smokers the world over love LeSig. E-cigarettes with a look, feel, and taste of real cigarettes, but without the nasty smoke, ashes, or stains. LeSig is powered by revolutionary microelectronic technology. A small, rechargeable battery and unique replaceable cartridge provide all the satisfaction and benefits of smoking without the smoke and all the hazards. See the large variety of LeSig e-cigarette supplies and accessories at LeSig.com. That's L-E-C-I. LeSig is competitively priced, comes with the best customer service, a 30-day warranty, and satisfaction guaranteed. What a great gift idea. For a 10% discount, mention GCN when you call 870-518-4307. That's 870-518-4307. Ask for fast, free, same-day shipping. Order online at LeSig.com and use promo code GCN at checkout. That's L-E-C-I-G.com. LeSig, for today's modern smoker. There's mounting evidence suggesting that there are people, governments, corporations, and whole professions intent on short-circuiting humanity's well-being. GMO, food legislation protecting big agriculture, the attempted elimination of vitamins and alternative medicines, it seems their hand has been tipped. They want to dictate your health, wealth, and your longevity. Whatever the outcome, we have a solution. Wild edible food. Why worry about food when all has been provided? We imagine that we were ejected from the garden and never invited back, but the garden's still here. There is an endless wild abundance which grows all over our green earth, just waiting for you to wake up and see it. Let author Linda Runyon teach you how to see, know, get, prepare, store, and eat wild edible food. 
Save money, add nutrition, and ignore the noise when you go shopping in Nature's Supermarket. Go to ofthefield.com and get started today. Or call 1-888-51-EAT-FREE. That's ofthefield.com or call 1-888-51-EAT-FREE and begin to see a different world. Nine years, thousands of clients worldwide, amazing results. And here's more proof of the effectiveness of how heart and body extract supports good circulation and healthy arterial flow. My name is Crystal. I'm a 45-year-old and live in Houston, Texas. I was diagnosed with having mitral valve prolapse 10 years ago. My cardiologist said surgery and drugs was the only thing he could offer me. What did Crystal do? I ordered heart and body extract in August 2006. When I first took my first 15 drops, I embraced the formula and could even feel the goodness of the formula starting to work. Clean, clear arteries are happy arteries after using heart and body extract. Learn more at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305. That's hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305. HB Extract comes with a 100% ironclad money-back guarantee. Details at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305 for heart and body extract. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. You're in the Paracast. You never know what's going to happen next. We return with co-host Chris O'Brien, our guest, Greg Bishop, Paul Kimball, Talking Shop, the fifth anniversary of the Paracast, and speaking of ways that maybe we can cause the next generation of potential UFO investigators to take a look and see whether they could be persuaded to become interested in this subject in the generation of YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, texting, all this stuff. How do we do it? Let's get on to some more questions here. And this actually refers to the Paracast, and I don't know whether all our co-hosts have heard every episode. I have at least twice, and I understand I'm going for a rest cure next week. <laughs> okay, let's ask you, Greg Bishop. You've done some shows here. Do you think that among the guests you've interviewed or heard of, anybody really taught you something new, peculiar, unexpected from an episode, from a show, an interview? I think the questions teach me something new. Um, a lot of Chris's questions teach me something new. What sticks out it probably, and it, it's, this is a very selfish uh, uh, choice, is the interviews with Mac Tonys, because I, I talk to him, of course, personally, but then in an interview format, he really has to push his, his ideas and his... Um, what he's trying, what you know, what, what he's trying to prove, and what his thought process is, and sometimes if you know somebody well enough, you don't really do that, and you get a uh, a, a different perspective when um, somebody else is asking the questions. Um, as far as somebody that sticks out, um, hmm, I can't think of anybody right now. Maybe Richard Dolan with some of the things that I didn't expect he would say. Okay, Chris. Well, that's a tough one. There's, you know, I have listened to a majority of the shows, uh, and it's it's really difficult for me to to attempt to to pick out a single guest. Uh, there have been little vignettes here and there that I, I found uh, <laughs> intriguing, um, but that's that's a tough one. Um, I really wouldn't. <laughs> I'd have to think about that. Ask me that later. I'll I'll put my hat on and and kind of think about that because. 
we've had some real good guests on on the show uh, over the years, and and it'd be really tough to boil it down. Uh, it would depend on maybe the subject or something. Rain check time for Chris O'Brien, Paul Kimball. I'll give you a two-part answer, Gene. First of all, from an entertainment point of view, because it is, you know, it's radio, it's entertainment. Uh, the Steve Bassett meltdown, that was <laughs> one. Uh, yeah, and I, I have a reason why I might have rated that one. But, of course, this is like the second time Steve Bassett appeared on the show, I think back in 2006 or 2007. And we pressed him on some very simple areas about, you know, why do you have crazy people at some of your conventions along with some pretty serious people? And he went ballistic. Yeah, well, you know, I had had a personal experience with him where he stood up. We were having a discussion along with, I think, Nick Pope, Rob Simone. There were some other people there at the Laughlin conference one year. And Bassett got so agitated when I basically said, you know, you need to, if you want to be, make a positive contribution, stop inviting Alfred Weber and substitute him with, I don't know, Greg Bishop <laughs> or anybody. And Bassett said something along the lines of, you don't know what you're talking about, stood up, turned around, slapped his butt in my face. <laughs> and then walked off. And I just thought, well, okay, yeah, that try doing that with a congressman, you you who is the only UFO lobbyist in Washington. See how that gets you with the Secret Service or right. something. So you know, what's know, interesting here too, Paul, is that in a sense his meltdown on the Paracast was very much the equivalent of what you're describing in person. Yeah, and, and you know what? I've I've talked to Bassett a number of times. I can have a a pleasant conversation with him until it's you start talking about what he does. And then he doesn't brook any criticism, which goes back to the very first question on this show. What's wrong with ufology? Too many people like Steve Bassett, who, if you challenge what they're saying, argument's fine. Heated argument is fine. But they basically stand up, turn around and slap their butt in your face and then walk away. And that, that's not productive. But it is entertaining. So that's why I split the, my answer in two. <laughs> okay, you know, you know, Dying Sun had asked the question about that from our forums, and he also said, I want Gene's opinion. Which one won the award as the worst episode of the Paracast yet? Now, I don't know if they consider worst or most significant, certainly the Steve Bassett meltdown. <laughs> Bill Nell, I had a chance to look at the list now. Bill okay. Nell is one of my favorites. In 30 minutes, Bill Nell hung up after we simply confronted his, as they say, deceptions. Also, of course, Stephen Greer had a semi-meltdown on one of our episodes. But one of the more recent ones that Chris and I participated in, Anthony Sanchez. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Chris, tell us about that. <laughs> well, Anthony, uh, you know, I, I really think he's, he, he's a nice guy. I actually spent a couple hours with him uh, at the Angel Fire Conference uh, last September, He's very enthusiastic. Uh, he's not that well-versed in the subject matter, and he obviously has not had much experience uh, representing his views publicly, like in a forum like, like the, the Paracast on radio shows. And he was making these large, sweeping statements that uh, didn't have the word alleged in front of them, which <laughs> I had to remind him a couple of times that you're alleging something. You're not, you know, you shouldn't be stating it as fact. And uh I, I, I think he took it. Uh, he took it pretty well, but uh, he had a, a bit of a meltdown two days later, if I remember correctly, and sent out a very disturbing email uh, to anyone that cared to read it uh, about his leaving the field. The book's not coming out, and you know Colonel X is, uh, you know, he's throwing him under the bus or whatever. And uh, and then all of a sudden he had a complete turnaround uh, about a week later, and 
released his book as an ebook and and we have another chapter in the <laughs> the growing myth around the dulce base underground there so have you read the I, book chris uh no i haven't well i'll tell you what i asked him for a reviewer's copy he never responded i think he was embarrassed i, I think that's part of it right there i think when you bring someone on and they prove to be less than you expected let's move beyond that there's so many questions here I don't want to dwell on Anthony Sanchez, Bill Nell, Steve Bassett, Stephen Greer, or maybe a few more other people that maybe we G- were disappointed in. Because Gene, some, yeah, if I if I can just say, I gave the entertaining answer. the The answer I would give for the best show would be any show with guys, and I'll just talk about guys that I knew, like Dave Sadler and Steve Mara, who do real research in the field and careful research. They're skeptics. If they say they have something they will show it to you those kinds of episodes with those kinds of people on this show or any other show are the ones that people should be listening to and those are the ones that i enjoy and listen to so to answer your original question about what the best show was you know the sadler mara show for me that i participated in but there are other ones with people that actually walk the walk and uh, or talk the talk but they also walk the walk they'll back it up when you ask them for it those are good shows i'd add phil and brogno too to that list yeah, yeah, Phil would be way up there in my top five, definitely, and uh, uh, I think he's well. Stan Gordon too. Uh, some of oh, his yeah, cases are, are are just jaw dropping, and I'm amazed that more people aren't aware of his 40 years of work in Pennsylvania. You know, when we talk about Pennsylvania, there is one other guest I was disappointed in, not because of the show which I thought was good, but because of what happened after that, Butch Witkowski. Oh boy! Yes. Yeah. Now. What's happened here is, you know, he was supposed to be a big muckety-muck in the Pennsylvania MUFON and all that, had all these credentials, and suddenly a private detective goes around and finds that a lot of his credentials were false, that he had been convicted of a felony. We asked Butch to come on the Paracast or send me a statement where he would correct the record if he felt that somebody misstated it. He first said, what was this about, then wrote me a letter after that saying, well, no, he's going to concentrate on research privately. He's not going to answer anything, which in effect, as far as I'm concerned, that's a confession. Because I think if you're accused of being that deceptive, and if those accusations are false, the first thing you would do would be to get on there and refute those accusations. You wouldn't say, well, I'm not going to respond to this. I'm going to go away. Well, he went away. Good luck. Goodbye, good luck. I mean, if you want to hear the show, it's still on there. I'm not going to take a show off strictly because a guest turned out to be disappointing, I think. I mean, you'll see a few other guests along the way where maybe they weren't able to prove what they claimed to have been able to prove, but we're trying to cover a broad spectrum here. But those possibly are the worst ones. Now, as I said before, we have so many questions here. We can do a 10-hour show. We've basically covered... As I say, probably almost a quarter, a third of the show right now. And unfortunately, we're not going to get to all this, but we're going to ask a few of these questions of our guests and we're going to see where we can go. I would say this in the five years that we've had the Paracast, I've learned an awful lot about the UFO and paranormal field. Also, with me, because I've been involved in this crazy thing so long, I got to become reacquainted with people I hadn't talked to in a while, like Jerome Clark, for example. You know, hadn't talked with him in years. He came on the show two or three times. Kurt Southerly, who's also an unsung hero in UFO research in Pennsylvania, dear friend of mine, has done a lot of personal investigations. He's a former 
journalist, newspaper reporter who does a lot of digging, also, I think, deserves recognition. Our guests, Paul Kimball, Greg Bishop, the co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Hi, Ted Anderson announcing a great way to listen to radio on the telephone. By calling 760-569-7700, you'll be hearing GCNlive.com programs in seconds. Come to GCNlive.com, find your favorite host's dedicated phone number, and hear them 24-7. You heard me right, every show has a dedicated phone number. Stop by GCNlive.com and bookmark their number today. And again, that's 760-569-7700. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit and carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. This is Hour 2 of the Paracast. Chris O'Brien's the co-host. I'm Gene Steinberg. We brought along some former co-hosts and our guest co-hosts because they're dear friends of mine and they have so much to say. This is a way of talking shop, answering your questions Greg Bishop, Paul Kimball. Paul, we miss you terribly, and I hope you'll get back on the show more often because you always have such great insights. In fact, you have one of our premier moments on the Paracast. This is one of my favorite moments where, in referring to the Aztec New Mexico (laughs) crash case, you know, that's the one where Scott Ramsey and Frank Warren are still engaged. And by the way, Scott Ramsey's book supposedly is going to be out this year. You know, I'll believe it when I see it. But you, Paul, made that statement about the fact that the Aztec case is like Dracula. You drive a stake through it, and it keeps coming back. I think of John Carradine in the movie House of Dracula from the 1940s. Yeah, well, I'm one of the idiots that actually pulled the stake out, too. So it's about five, six or seven years ago, I, um, I was making Do You Believe in Magic? So here's the full story. I was doing that for Canadian Network, but we were really short on the budget. I mean, really short, even for one of my UFO films. And so I was scrounging around trying to raise money outside traditional sources. And Stan Friedman hooked me up with Scott Ramsey. He said, look, I've heard of this uh, Ramsey guy. He talking about the Aztec case. Turns out, long story short, Aztec, or Ramsey had 12 or 13 investors who could raise about a grand each. And I basically just piggybacked one film on the other went out to Aztec, filmed pretty much everybody I needed to film for the Majestic 12 film. And at the same time, like Carl Flock was a good example. I just ran one interview and then said, okay, let's take half an hour, have a glass of Coke, and I'll come back and interview you about the Aztec thing. And so, you know, I did. it's the one gig I ever did where it was basically for the money because I, want, I needed the money to help finish this other film. And as it turned out, as I was going along, I thought, well, this, okay, this is interesting, which is kind of like the guy in Dracula 4 or one of those sequels who has maybe, you know, he doesn't know as much as he should. And he, he shows up at Count Alucard's house 
and he doesn't realize that Ken Alucard is actually Dracula backwards. So he walks in, he opens up a crypt, and he goes, hey, this is interesting. Some dead skeleton with a stake driven through its heart. Well, why don't I just pull the stake out and see what happens? Nothing bad, I'm sure. <laughs> in fact, yeah, you describe Boris Karloff in the film House of Frankenstein, yeah. where he plays the guy who's doing this fake carnival or something, and he's going to show the genuine skeleton of Count Dracula. And, of course, he pulls the stake out, and there's John Carradine. Yeah, you know, it's it's the thing you learn. You make mistakes. It wasn't a mistake for me to make the film. I actually like the film because it gives Carl Flock... I like watching... Carl was a good friend of mine, so anytime I can watch Carl, who's passed away, it's it's nice. But Carl basically deconstructs the Aztec case and, and shows why it was a hoax. Around that, you have Stan and Scott Ramsey arguing for why it's not. I would say you can ignore that part. But at the end, there's also a mention of the Farmington Armada, which, as Carl pointed out, there was a bona fide, genuine, very interesting UFO case in the Aztec area. Farmington's about 10 miles away from 1950. Almost nobody remembers that, but somehow Aztec has creeped back, a a pure hoax, has creeped back into the public consciousness, which is kind of a, there's your answer for what's wrong with UFO research again. Because something flying over your, your head that you can't explain is not as sexy as crashed alien spacecraft with bodies and a government cover-up. And I'll tell you what, I would then consider this part of Blowfish's question about the best and worst UFO cases. Would you regard that, Paul, as among the worst? Aztec, I don't even regard that as a UFO case. So I regard that as one of the best hoaxes. You had a a best-selling book by Frank Scully who made a fair bit of money off it, I'm sure. You have a, a really cool story about these guys pulling this oil scam in Colorado back in the in the day and using UFOs. Oh, my God, I just said back in the day. Wow. Um, I swore I'd never do that. So anyway, back in you know the 1940s and early 50s, it's a fascinating story. And even the intelligence agencies, the FBI, got involved to an extent. So it's a cool story, but it's a lousy UFO case. You know, the worst UFO case, there is no worse UFO case. Um, any that remain unsolved, assuming that they're actually unidentified, are interesting in one way, shape, or another. So I, I don't actually have a worse one, I guess. Greg Bishop, do you have a worst or a most disappointing UFO case to offer? You know, I was thinking about that when Paul was talking. I think the worst UFO case is Roswell because there's no solution to it. There never will be a solution to it. And people keep arguing about it and wasting time, Ugh. energy, money, and, and breath on it. Yeah. That's probably the flogging just, a just, dead horse. Yeah, just... Just because of the time it's taken away from anything useful and how many people put all kinds of effort into it and how unsolvable it is and how unprovable it is to most people. I mean, a lot of UFO enthusiasts, researchers and all that think it's the sine qua non UFO case, at least crashed UFO case. As for best cases, I sort of agree with Paul. I've got favorite cases. I don't know about best cases. Um, Maybe the stuff in in Paul's film, obviously, uh, best evidence. But I've got favorite cases like Stan Gordon's case from 1967 where the guy saw two people saw a bunch of UFOs or I think two UFOs and then two Bigfoots walking along. Show the up, yeah. Yeah. Holding glowing orbs, I think. They disappear. And then the guy goes crazy and starts spouting uh, something about the end of the world and how man has to. It was it, it's an incredible case with all the weirdness that UFO people, you know, researchers usually don't want associated with UFO cases. But it's very important, I think, to me, this weird stuff, these outliers 
right. um, come up again and again, and they're, I think they're very important to the UFO question and are routinely ignored. Chris? Oh, I've got a bunch. Uh, one of my all-time favorites uh, is the Clearview case from uh, 78, I believe, or 79, where you have uh, inside of the Air Force Academy, you have Air Force officers arriving in supposedly in a saucer-type craft and uh, confronting a ranching family and having a Bigfoot standing nearby with a blinking box that was apparently under the control of the Air Force officers. You have physical evidence, uh, Bigfoot hair. Um, you have cattle mutilations. You have the types of attendant phenomenon that, that Greg was mentioning. Also, another case which I personally investigated was the NORAD phone call to the Rio Grande County Sheriff in uh, January of 95, where they called to re you know report a a significant few acre sized heat bloom on the side of a mountain in the San Luis Valley. And uh, the events that surrounded that include Bigfoot sightings, low flying B-52s, bait and switch coordinates by NORAD uh, to the sheriff and search and rescue personnel. And then uh, just dozens of, of uh, attendant, you know, sighting reports around the same time. I think it was a dark horse you know, UFO sighting of 95, uh, the case of 95. So, in terms of worst, I would have to agree with Greg Roswell. I mean, what can you say? I, it's just I think that too much time has, has been spent on Roswell. There's not enough time on, on breaking cases, moving the, the field forward. You can dig and dig and dig, and the more you dig, the more dirt you're going to uncover. But it's, at some point, let's get the stake firmly planted in Roswell, please. You know, the problem I also see, guys, is that we keep resurrecting the old cases. You know, we go back, we don't bring up Newer cases. I mean, obviously, there were UFO sightings after Roswell, but we have to find ourselves stuck with Roswell in a rut. Maybe, you know, it's a little bit of intellectual laziness, as it were, that we take an old case and we simply beat it to death. And then somebody else takes the case and it's son. It's like the movie, you know, the movie where you have sequels and sequels and eventually the sequels die out because you run out of ideas. You know, like for a while, Star Trek ran out of ideas until they rebooted the franchise. So you take Roswell, and you've got Roswell, Roswell 2, Roswell 3, Roswell 496, and you think, after Roswell 496 and 3 tenths, you know what, well, we've run out of something here. You know, if you do find some physical, solid evidence of Roswell, fine. But right now, it's people remembering things, remember, and we're not going to say they're lying, but remembering what has happened 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago, the world has changed, their experiences have changed, and you have the core question, can you even, after all that cultural conditioning, all that contamination over the years, remember anything that old accurately? I mean, we argue about what happened yesterday. You have the talking heads on cable TV, they can't figure out what happened yesterday. How do we know what happened that we can remember or hope to remember 50 or 60 years ago? We have Paul Kimball, Greg Bishop, our co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in The Paracast. Yeah. 
Have you been sitting on a few great domain name ideas but haven't locked them in for yourself? Good. Now you can buy them through the number one domain name registrar, Namecheap.com, as voted by the top tech blog Lifehacker. Just like the name says, you can buy domains cheap, as low as $2.99. And every new domain comes with WhoisGuard, our special privacy service, free for the first year. Now that you know, it's time to grab those domain names before someone else does. Namecheap.com. Go now. Namecheap.com. Fate Magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. To receive your free issue of Fate Magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Good day. Jim Newcomer from Midas Resources, February 25th, 2011. Gold opened this morning at 1403.60. A one-ounce gold coin can be purchased for 1489.83, 719.92 for a half ounce, or 359.96 for a quarter ounce. That's 1489.83, 719.92, and 359.96. The Constitution and the Bill of Rights have been reduced to old relics politicians ignore, trample with their outlandish, overreaching policies. Your support of the Campaign for Liberty stands in the way of this insidious process. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. I've teamed up with the Campaign for Liberty to offer the authentic-proof quarter-ounce pure gold coin. For only $390 plus shipping, Midas will donate $100 to this incredible organization. Help fight big government by ordering your gold coin at 800-686-2237. You get to win twice by owning gold and fighting an overreaching government. Call 800-686-2237. Again, that's 800-686-2237. Hello folks, this is Steve Shank. This week we introduced a new product from eFoods Direct, corn chowder. And let me tell you, its homemade flavor is absolutely amazing. You know eFoods, we've brought you the best food on the planet for years. As you know, we pioneered a line of quick-fix meals that are super easy to fix. Obviously, winter is upon us. You can save 20% on the wonderful soup and bakery special. It's a lot of food for less than a dollar a serving. It includes the new corn chowder I told you about and the other wonderful soups. It also includes the delicious cornbread muffins and buttermilk biscuits to go with the soup. So you have great food you can serve this winter or jumpstart your food savings account for the future. Saving 20%. Call 800-409-5633 on the web, efoodsdirect.com slash alex. That's 800-409-5633 or on the web, efoodsdirect.com slash alex. Never buy home canning jar lids again. No kidding. When you buy Tadler reusable canning lids once, you'll never buy canning lids ever again. Safely store emergency preparedness foods for years. Traditional metal lids are single-use throwaways containing BPA. But Tadler reusable canning lids are guaranteed to last a lifetime when used as designed for home canning. Tadler lids are made with a USDA and FDA-approved food-grade plastic, safe for direct food contact, and contain no BPA. Tadler lids are dishwasher safe, usable with standard pressure or water bath canning, eliminate food spoilage from acid corrosion, fit standard mason jars are indefinitely reusable and are proudly made in the usa place orders at reusablecanninglids.com or call 1-877-747-2793 877-747-2793 call 877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com that's reusablecanninglids.com for tadler reusable canning lids the original since 1976 
The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And if you want to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com. Or check us out on iTunes. We continue. We're in the second hour of our fifth anniversary episode. Answering your questions, the co-host is Chris O'Brien. We have Paul Kimball, Greg Bishop. Blowfish asked me some really great questions here. And as I said, we're covering some of them. We can't cover all of them. But I'll give you an example of this. Blowfish asked me, Gene, what's your thoughts about ufology since you first became interested? And what's your thoughts on the future computer developments? Oh, okay. I'm going to be brief about this because I really want our guests to do most of the talking this week. First of all, it's amazing to me how we've gone nowhere. The UFO field can be described in terms of the common belief by reading a book called Flying Saucers from Outer Space by Major Donald Kehoe, now in the public domain. You can download a copy from 1950, and many parts of UFO research have not changed. Then there's a book by Kehoe, Flying Saucer Conspiracy, about the silence group, the government keeping it all a secret. We still think that. We have disclosure. We have exopolitics. That hasn't changed. What has changed is maybe a small number of UFO investigators who realize it's a whole lot more complicated and they're trying their level best to figure out other possibilities. I mean, John Keel alerted us to other possibilities. Jacques Vallée, towards the end of his life, Dr. J. Allen Hynek. I interviewed Dr. Hynek maybe, I don't know, a few years before he died of a brain tumor. Very friendly guy. We had, I think, dinner together. I interviewed him and he had that broad hint There's a lot more to the UFO field than just aliens from Zeta Reticuli coming to see us. But the other question for our panel, because all of us are involved in that one way or another, what is the best sci-fi movie and the worst? So, Paul Kimball, do you think Plan 9 from Outer Space was the worst? In terms of production value, probably. I mean, you know, it, it would be right up there. But as with Greg, I don't know about you and Chris, I have an enduring fondness for Ed Wood and really bad <laughs> filmmaking because, you know, he's the anti-Orson Welles. He had all of Orson Welles' drive and chutzpah and ability to lie and get things done, but only to a point he didn't have any of Welles' talent. So it's a yin and a yang. If a universe is going to have Orson Welles making Citizen Kane, then you should have an Ed Wood making Plan 9 from Outer Space. And I think then that Somewhere somewhere on the continuum between the two are most other films. So uh, for me, the best science fiction film, and it's an interesting question, is, yeah, it's Doing Time, the one Mac Tonys and I wrote that I hope to make this year. There you go. I'm traveling, in, I'm traveling into the future to tell you what the best one is going to be. Okay, but, so how about Day the Earth Stood Still? It is such no, a classic in its own way. What do you think it, among the top five best films anyway? I did a top 10 sci-fi films of all time, I think, on my blog several years ago. And to me, Blade Runner, uh, Solaris, the Russian version, although I kind of like the George Clooney version, too. Uh, 2001, A Space Odyssey. Any film where you are, what science fiction should do, 
frankly, what UFO research should do is question whether there's some other intelligence out there that interacts with us and also question ourselves. Who are, you know, who are we? What are we doing here? What's it all about? And so I think the best science fiction films are the ones that do that. And I think those three that I've just named do it. But, you know, plus I like Terminator, too, and I like Aliens. So sometimes, you know, just a good shoot 'em up in outer space is fun as well. If I, if I can only ever watch one, if somebody said you can only ever watch one science fiction film ever again, I would say Blade Runner is the one that I just keep coming back to and I go, I look at it and it was visionary. Ridley Scott was so far ahead of the, the ball in terms of imagining a new future. A lot of what, what he was talking about has come true. And I think the stuff that hasn't come true may well come true in the next 30, 40 years. I'm glad yeah. Soylent Green never came true. <laughs> that we know of. Well, of course. Now, that was a Charlton Heston film. One of um, Edward G. Robinson's last film. That's right. Edward G. Yes. Robinson's last film. And his final it. words were, Soylent Green is people. <sighs> yeah. When was the last time you had a cheeseburger at McDonald's? Okay, now we worry about what's in it. Greg Bishop, what do you think? Best and worst science fiction films? Well, are you talking about that address the UFO subject or just science fiction in general? The question is open-ended. Go either way. The question is open-ended. I would include what Paul was talking about. I would also include Clockwork Orange. There's Kubrick again. Uh, I would include The Thing, the original Thing from uh, the 50s. And remember, Uh, by the way, The Thing was portrayed by Marshall Matt Dillon. Yes. James Arness, yeah. Yeah. Um, Peter Graves' brother, for those of you who remember Mission Impossible. Uh, Planet of the Apes, actually. Brazil, one of my favorite films. That's a science fiction film. Uh, there's, there's so many of them. And, and worst, I don't know. There's so, so many of them to choose from. And Ed Wood is too obvious to me. Even though he's a hero of mine, and as you know, I open... Yeah, you open your show with Plan, out, out of, Plan 9 from Outer Space. The beginning of Plan 9 from Outer Space. Just to, One, because it's I love Ed Wood. Um, and the way he was portrayed by Johnny Depp and, and directed by Tim Burton, I thought was perfect in uh, in the Ed Wood movie. But, you know, one, one, because he's just so inept, but two, because he just, like Paul said, he had he had such drive and he had such dreams and really wanted badly to make this, um, you know, all these epics and these and this big uh, uh, splash in the in the, uh, the film industry. And he never did. But the thing is that, you know, think of how many idiots you see walking around that say they're going to do something and they want to do something and they never do anything. They're, they're countless. And here's Ed Wood, who probably made the worst science fiction films ever made. And practically everybody in the civilized world, at least in the West, knows about him. <laughs> Just because he was so bad. Just, there's lesser known ones like Beast of Yucca Flats and, uh, you know, all, all there, there's so many thousands of them. I love them all because they're, they're so uh, inept and, and so ridiculous. And, and to me, that just holds a mirror up to, you know, everything that people think is good and right and perfect and proper and all that and shows how, how ridiculous, silly and even creative people can be. And I think that's wonderful. The sure. reason I mention Dave Earth Stood Still is because it has implications for the UFO field, the original one. Now, amongst yeah. the worst films was the remake with Keanu Reeves. The original one, you have to think, the picture of the spaceship taking off at the end it was used by the late Howard Menger as photographs of UFOs oh, yeah. and some of his contact claims, remember that also the scene where Michael Rennie as Klaatu is shot down near DuPont Circle in Washington D.C. and the reason we mention that is not far from that location as depicted in the film is where NICAP the legendary UFO organization located their headquarters that's a fact 
well, those mm-hmm. inside jokes. I also like the film because it came out at a time where science fiction was always the alien on the loose, going to attack and kill Earthlings. Here, it was trying to have a positive message, which is, you know, if you're going to be warlike, we're going to take things into our own hands. But if you Earthlings will just pursue the straight and the narrow and get your acts together, you can join the Federation, the Galactic Brotherhood. And they chose, I think, the best actor for Clat II, Michael Rennie, because nobody heard of him in this country. He was well-known in England, but nobody heard of him here. It was also directed by Robert Weiss, who did Sound of Music. And was a UFO believer. Think of all the UFO implications of the movie The Day the Earth Stood Still. Our guest, Paul Kimball, Greg Bishop, the co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in The Paracast. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! of the Rockwell. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack! Attack! of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. Forget everything you've been told about long-term food storage. When the collapse happens, you'll need the single most effective way to get high-powered Delta Force nutrients to your family fast. Like any Special Forces commando, you need a plan. You need a Black Hawk Down food plan. Introducing the Survival Sprout Bank from Solutions from Science. It's your countertop survival garden. Yes, grow fresh greens right on your countertop in just a few short days. Sprouts are the green shoots that emerge from newly germinated seeds, and they are powerhouses of living, easily absorbed nutrients. The Survival Sprout Bank is a complete kit with nothing else to buy. And with sprouts so easy to grow, even children can grow emergency food. Call 877-327-0365 or go to Survival Sprout bank.com that's 877-327-0365 or order online at survival survival sprout bank your black hawk down emergency food plan this special announcement is brought to you by renaissance charge have you ever wondered if you could make your car run on 100 electric power for free it is now possible how about a simple device that is both a super efficient motor and a free energy generator at the same time What if this could also be used to restore useless batteries and save you lots of money? Because our customers asked for it, we have organized a Renaissance Charge Conference Workshop on July 29th to July 31st at the beautiful Coeur d'Alene Resort in Idaho. Not only will you see these fascinating energizers, but you will be able to build some alongside genius inventor John Bedini. Participate in this truly historic event featuring our cutting-edge alternative energy Tesla technology. Register early for the best seats and advanced workshop by visiting rcharge.com. That's r-charge.com for details. Or call 208-772-4514. That's 208-772-4514. 
Did you know that drinking pure, high alkaline water is one of the most important factors in maintaining high energy and vibrant health? Most experts agree that the water you drink should be at a pH level of 8 or higher. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops, available only at AlkaVision.com, combine a unique formula of only the most alkaline minerals. AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops alkalize your water, ridding the body of harmful toxins, and helps you regain health and energy. Alkalizing your water by simply adding 10 drops of AlkaVision Plasma pH Drops helps the body rid itself of acidic waste, increases oxygen content, and raises the pH of your body to healthy levels. And bacteria and viruses cannot survive in an alkaline high pH environment. Order your bottle of AlkaVision Plasma pH drops for only $29.95 at AlkaVision.com. That's A-L-K-A-Vision.com. Or call 269-409-1776. 269-409-1776. Alkalize your body. Supercharge your health at AlkaVision.com today. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. This is Jim Mosley, editor of Saucer Smear, and I'm here to say a good word or two about the Paracast, which I believe is the gold standard of paranormal radio. Listen to it if you can. We return with co-host Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast, fifth anniversary episode with Greg Bishop and Paul Kimball. Paul, you were about to say something before we went to the break, I guess partly in response to what Greg said about the best and worst films. Yeah, it took me a little while because generally speaking, I, I don't focus on the worst films. I focus on the best films, the ones that I enjoy. Uh, for me, the worst science fiction film ever was Battlefield Earth. For so many reasons. <laughs> oh, there you go. That's oh, you nailed that one. Oh, it took a little while because I've tried to block most of it out. But for so many reasons, and as Greg said, there's so many to choose from. But when you also throw in the fact that that actually had millions of dollars in the budget and some big name stars, and I still managed, it. yeah, still managed to be complete and utter dreck. So on the plus side, because I have to wash that out of my mouth now, just thinking about that, I would add Forbidden Planet, which is one of yes. my all-time yeah. favorites. Yeah. Folks, if, if most people haven't seen it because it kind of came and went, but there was a great little film out last year called Never Let Me Go with Kerry Mulligan, Kira Knightley, uh, set in the United Kingdom in a very near future, kind of an alternate dystopian world. And it raised some very interesting questions about what might be coming for us in terms of cloning, in terms of, of how we might treat artificial life forms. And so, yeah, Never Let Me Go, if you find it on video, uh, track it down. It was released last year. And almost nobody saw it, but it's, it's actually really good. Chris? Like Paul, I, um, I tend to go with you know, the best directors, and Ridley Scott, Stanley Kubrick, Steven Spielberg, Howard Hawks. Uh, sci-fi movies uh, and films by these uh, gentlemen uh, are my favorite, which would be 2001, for instance. Uh, I agree with Greg Clockwork Orange is probably arguably my, my favorite film. Blade Runner, exceptional. Douglas Trumbull's uh, effects in that are just mesmerizing. I think a groundbreaking film. The Thing, Howard Hawks. Uh, for you film buffs out there, uh, it's considered the first film where the director actually had the characters talk over one another uh, with the dialogue. That's the first time that that actually uh, happened, and, and now it's it's commonplace in films for for uh, dialogue to be more lifelike in that that regard. In terms of worst, 
<laughs> Battlefield Earth. I like sci-fi movies. Uh, I used to like them more than I do now, but that that's one of the few that I literally could not watch the whole thing. It was so bad. Um, and so I'd have to agree with Paul on that one. <laughs> you know what? Close Encounters really- is one that people haven't talked about. I think Close Encounters should be up on that list somewhere, too. If oh, only yeah. because we could see Dr. J. Allen Hynek in the right. yeah. final scenes. One film that has a really good bearing on the UFO subject and how people look at it and the paranormal in general, and you wouldn't expect that really affects me, is Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. I love what that film did with the subconscious and what the dream, a dreamscape might look like. And I think that that, that should inform people that are interested in the paranormal and UFOs and maybe some sort of contact with some other consciousness. that make any sense to anybody? Do you people all regard the franchise films like Star Trek, Star Wars, etc., as being basically just junk food? Paul, no, you're the I, filmmaker. I love them. On my Facebook thing, I, I had a status update that said, I'm such a geek. I ran. I was with an old friend from the music industry. He's now in the film industry. Had coffee. Hadn't seen him in years. And we basically, instead of talking about you know business or stuff, we spent about an hour deconstructing the Star Wars prequels. And where, you know, where exactly did George Lucas completely lose his mind? Probably that, the first line in the film. Yeah, you know, Trade Federation stuff. I don't know. But it's one of those things where you become so invested in the franchise. I, I think Star Wars is great science fiction. I think Star Trek is great science fiction. And just because they're done, I, the Star Trek reboot that they did just a year or two ago, I thought was fantastic. An entertaining, compelling film with with cool characters. Nice Great story. casting. And yes, you know what's it, interesting to me is that's one of the few films where I just watched it and smiled from beginning to end, from the very first scene, and also watching how they basically rebooted it with new characters that sort of kind of resembled the originals but had their own takes on it and how they took to characters, and I'll be interested in seeing how that goes. What about the film Inception? Now, that's kind of a mind-blowing kind of exercise. We've got realities within realities within realities that only Christopher Nolan can bring Oh, that's what I was talking about around. Eternal Sunshine, too. Sure. It's the same kind of thing. It, it forces people to think in a different way. Tarantino did this, I mean, although other people did, the, did it before in different ways with Pulp Fiction, but forcing people to look at reality and the way they experience it in different ways, and that's a really valuable thing that film does, and Inception did that, and I'm glad it was popular and glad that it did what it did. But any, any film like that, that that does that, treats that subject well, what thought processes are, what you see in your mind, how important is that as compared to quote-unquote making reality. These are important issues. And the other question, I think the final science fiction question before we get back to the paranormal, superhero franchises. <laughs> okay, can we do decent ones? I mean, I guess the Batman films try to treat the characters realistically. We now, of course, have a so many British actors portraying Americans, like Christian Bale as Batman. <laughs> and, of course, Commissioner Gordon is also British. And now we have a British actor playing Superman. But let me go to Chris before we go to our filmmaker in residence here. So what about superheroes? You like them? You hate them? What, Chris? You know, I've never been a big superhero fan. Uh, you know, and, and I, I think the Spider-Man films are, are, are pretty good, uh, for instance. Of course, the Green Hornet, I think. Is that out yet or did it already die? It did mediocre, but I think it's yeah. probably going to make money based on what's doing worldwide. Yeah. But the problem is they try to make it into a comedy. Oh, I mean, you yeah. have to think that the Green Hornet on radio in the movies, early movies and on TV was meant to be straight ahead. 
Right, right. And you'd have to think, oh, by the way, another piece of trivia, the guy who played the Green Hornet on radio, the late Al Hodge, was Captain Video on TV. And oh. in the 60s, the 60s reboot of Green Hornet, Bruce Lee played Yeah, Bruce Vigo. Lee, that's where he got his start, yeah. Yeah, I, I've just never really been uh, too... I was I, I didn't really read uh, comic books uh, that much when I was a kid. Uh, my favorite was Torox Son of Stone, which I, I believe was a Dell comic about two Indians that, that end up in the center of the earth uh, battling dinosaurs. Sounds like Edgar Rice Burroughs revisited. Yeah, exactly. I I would be interested to see a John Carter of Mars film. I've I've heard They're working about, on it. Yeah, that that's going to be coming out, and uh, you know I, I think this summer we're going to have uh, some pretty interesting films coming out. We have uh, Super Eight, uh, Cowboys and Aliens, which looks uh, like it could be fun. I'm not sure if anyone uh, present has seen the Battle for L.A. or whether it's even out yet, but that that looks pretty hokey. Uh, another film that I, I found recently that came out was District Nine. I, I I thought that was actually pretty interesting because it it totally turned the genre upside down. Uh, in terms of the actual plot lines and the, the aliens being put in a like a township and stuff, uh, I, I thought and a that compound that was pretty, it's kind of discrimination. Yeah. But the thing is, I wanted to get into the superheroes, and maybe we'll ask yeah. Greg Bishop: superhero yeah, not, films, like them or hate them? I don't feel either of them. Here, here's what I get in trouble for: I don't care. I really have never cared about superhero films when I was in <laughs> junior high and high school. Well, because it just doesn't. It just it never spoke to me. The things that spoke to me when I was in junior high and high school were underground comics um, yeah. like uh, Freak Brothers or or uh, Von Baudet, if anybody ever heard of him. Um, Zippy. Yeah, Zippy the Pin, yeah, Jeff Jones, people, yeah, all, all these underground comics artists in the 70s, 80s, 90s, those those kind of yeah, Love and Rockets, all those uh, uh, those things interested me, not, not DC superhero. Although I did enjoy the first and second um, Iron Mans, I, you know, I thought they were fun, fun filmmaking, they were fun ride, worth the money, and you know that maybe that's what a superhero is supposed to be. Kids apparently love Iron Man right now, so I, I don't know why that is. They, they're just all into Iron Man, so maybe maybe, the, maybe there's something there. It's speaking to them on a more basic level. But yeah, superhero films just and superheroes just never really interested me. Well, I grew up with Superman and Batman, so I kind of like the films. I like the first Tim Burton Batman. The second one got a little too grisly. The rest were just garbage. The Christopher Nolan reboot I liked. I like the Richard Donner Superman film, the one with Christopher Reeve, although it got a little campy. You know, the characters of Lex Luthor as Gene Hackman playing him and his cohorts. <laughs> Ned Beatty. Yeah. Now, Ned... Is a terrific actor. He was in okay. network. He's a great actor, and he's still alive and still a great actor. I thought that that was the part that upset me. A few other things, too, about continuity, but Paul understands that better. We're talking to Paul Kimball, Greg Bishop, the co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Don't complain about your cable bill going up and up and up. Do something about it. Grab a pencil and jot down this special number, 1-877-804-MY-TV. The more cable TV rates go up, the better digital satellite TV looks. So, disable the cable and get more of your favorite channels in 100% digital quality for less money. Call 1-877-804-MY-TV right now to sign up for packages starting as low as $19.99 and up to four rooms. And there's no equipment to buy. That includes your free HDTV upgrade, your free DVR upgrade, and your free professional installation. And the best part? The pristine digital picture and sound. Call 1-877-804-MY-TV. So, what are you waiting for? Pull out 
about your major credit or debit card. Call 1-877-804-MY-TV. 1-877-804-MY-TV. Disable the cable, cut costs, and get more. Call 1-877-804-MY-TV. 1-877-804-MY-TV. For centuries, silver has been used as a powerful natural antibiotic. And as a listener to this station, you probably already know the benefits of using colloidal silver. With so many websites to choose from, finding a reputable patriotic company with great products at affordable prices can be a difficult task. Introducing UtopiaSilver.com. UtopiaSilver.com carries the best, most effective, and most affordable colloidal silver and colloidal gold products in the industry. UtopiaSilver.com also carries products to your lifestyle, including weight loss, immune system defense, cleanses, herbs, joint and bone care, and much more. First-time customers using promo code GCN50 will receive 50% off all colloidal products. Visit us today at Utopia Silver. That's U-T-O-P-I-A Silver. UtopiaSilver.com or call 888-213-4338. That's 888-213-4338. UtopiaSilver.com. Taking back America's health care one American at a time. Go solar for cheap. Want to use solar power, but the price is too high? Now you can build your own solar panels for less than $200 at 123CheapSolar.com. Don't laugh. We've sold over 45,000 solar do-it-yourself kits. Watch the step-by-step videos that even non-handyman types can use. We offer a 60-day money-back guarantee. Go to 123CheapSolar.com or call 800-713-0486. 800-713-0486. Reduce your foreign oil dependency when you go green with 123CheapSolar.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. If you owe the IRS money you can't pay, then listen carefully, because you already know that the problem won't go away by itself. You can get help today from the leading tax expert in the country, Dan Pilla. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. The IRS isn't going to just forget about you. Right now, the IRS is hiring thousands of tax collectors to go after delinquent accounts just like yours. That's why you need to take action today, and I can help. I take a simple but proven approach to solving your tax debt problem. First, I stabilize collections so you don't have to worry about wage and bank levies. Next, I build a detailed plan to get your debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even eliminated. Finally, I work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. So call now for a free consultation. Call 1-800-346-6829. Dan Pilla will solve your tax problem guaranteed. He's helped thousands of people, and he can help you too. Call us today at 800-346-6829. That's 800-34-NO-TAX. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. This is Jacques Vallée. You're listening to the podcast the gold standard of paranormal radio. We return with Chris O'Brien, the co-host, our guest, Paul Kimball, former co-host and still friend of the show and still my friend, I hope, Greg Bishop, guest co-host. Now, talking about superheroes, Paul Kimball, 
what's your say before we get back to the paranormal? Huge fan. When I was in law school in sitting, taking criminal law classes, I used to scribble Batman comics on my criminal law textbooks. So <laughs> what did know, they say the, when they caught you? Uh, they, well, they never caught me. The nice thing about law school is it, it's not like high school. The, prof- the professors don't come around checking to make sure you're sitting there paying attention. You know, you either are or you aren't. And you'll find out on the final exam whether somebody was or wasn't. So uh, and for the money you're paying, <laughs> they don't really care. So, you know, my brother and I, he's a Yankees fan. I'm a Red Sox fan. He's a Superman fan. I was a Batman guy. You know, it was always that kind of thing. I think every generation needs its myths, whether they're the Greek gods or whether it's Robin Hood and Camelot or whatever. And I think the cultural impact of, in particular, Superman and Batman to a lesser extent. And arguably, he's become more popular now because we live in a more nihilistic society. But the cultural impact in the United States of Superman as a defining myth as as a character that is larger than life i don't think can be underestimated in the 20th century i think he superman is one of the great creations in literature of all time and because it speaks to so many different things i think batman is a great creation too i think there are other characters that are as well that all have interesting things to say but those two in particular have stood the test of time which is amazing in and of itself. Understand these characters were started like the late 30s or around 1940 for Batman. We're talking about characters that have been here for over 70 years. Yeah, and and they will be here for much longer. And they've gone through constant reinterpretations, everything from the campy 60s Batman, which seemed to fit the zeitgeist of the time, to now the one that I prefer, the much darker Chris Nolan take on Batman – you know, and the Tim Burton stuff was great for its time, which was the 80s when things were a little happier and maybe a little more cartoonish. But also there was an element of darkness there, too. So, you know, you can you can write whatever your generation thinks about itself on superheroes. And uh, I think every society should have them. And unlike Greg, it's one of the things Greg and I differ on. I have no interest in underground comics. Never have. Probably never will. I, I just didn't get them. But superheroes, yeah, those uh, those I have always and will always find interesting. And so it annoys me when somebody like David Kelly comes along and he's completely, I don't even really like Wonder Woman, but he's going to completely ruin Wonder Woman with this new television show he's got coming up about her. To, you know, total, totally ruin it. But this summer, Green, Green Lantern, I'm a fan. Thor, I'm a fan. Everything I know about Norse mythology, I learned from Thor comics. I was inspired Captain America, the first Avenger. Absolutely. Which, you know, could be like Saving Private Ryan meets Batman, which would be really interesting. I think all of these, every time a superhero film comes out, I go with high expectations. I'm usually disappointed more often than not, but it's worth it to see a film like The Dark Knight or uh, the first Iron Man film. You get one that really is uh, sort of transcends even the genre. That's fun. and, And I love them. Absolutely. I'd like to be amazed. Let's get back to our paranormal universe here. And I guess the big question to ask here for each one of you, we'll start with Greg Bishop. Since the time you first started getting interested in paranormal stuff, UFOs, etc., how has your viewpoint of the entire thing evolved? Well, it started out just like everybody else's, except I was it was just what I could first read. I read all the UFO, paranormal, Bigfoot, ghost books that I could. I mean, Loch Ness Monster, I read, I read everything. And, you know, the, the, uh, at least at that point in the 70s and 80s, what you get 
basically is an idea that Bigfoot's a real, a real flesh and blood creature. Um, UFOs are piloted by aliens from other planets. And I stuck with that. And uh, probably up through the about the mid 1990s, when I started to realize that I should take other people, like we've said, Valet and Keel, um, seriously, uh, I read Jim Brandon's book, Rebirth of Pan. That really affected me a lot. Any any number of these alternative theory books. And then, believe it or not, uh, oh, what's the name of that book? The, the Gods of Eden. I really enjoyed that book. Not because I believed everything in it or anything like that, but the, the possibility that somebody could take the the UFO thing, the, the UFO myth, the UFO area, whatever you want to call it, and apply a different set of criteria to it and look at it in a different way. That fascinated me and made me realize that you can think about it in any way that you want, and it's probably better that you do it that way. And now I'm to the point where I'm very open-ended about what it would be, and, I, and for all the things I say about uh, anti-ATH, it's still a viable theory, just that it hasn't been proven. So as I get into the late 1990s and up to now, I, I realize there's so many different ways to look at the subject, and that makes it interesting to me, these alternative theories, these, these uh, uh, bringing in uh, some, you know, something like uh, uh, theoretical physics, bringing in something like uh, a paranormal theory of, of cryptozoology where the, where the animals aren't flesh and blood. These things are interesting, and I, I don't really care particularly which one is true i'd like you know i'd like to find out but i think once you start uh closing yourself off to different ideas then you've you've stopped thinking you've stopped evolving and you'll probably never learn anything anymore and i, I like to keep learning and that's why i try to keep an open mind about things and i don't really alight on any one theory or another i i basically cheerlead for other ones so that to try and push people to think differently about it and, and come back and tell me something that, and, and help me learn something. Chris O'Brien, how is your viewpoint about the paranormal, about UFOs, etc., how has that evolved over the years? Well, growing up, I, I think uh, similar to Greg, I, I you know, have, was programmed by the culture. I mean, I saw those great science fiction movies uh, from the 50s, and, and um, I just assumed that we were being visited by by flesh and blood, you know, uh, here in our universe, reality aliens that were coming here and, and for whatever reason, uh, interacting with humans and, and making their presence known to a certain extent. It wasn't until I started going out personally into the field, having my own personal experiences as well as documenting the experiences of others that I very quickly realized that an ETH theory, even though it does seem to be the most logical uh, theory to jump towards um, that it, it couldn't possibly, in my mind, uh, totally cover the width and breadth and, and depth of the of the phenomenon. So, my I started then really revisiting uh, Jacques Vallée and, and Keel and and uh, Jim Brandon, uh, Rebirth of Pan, uh, excellent book. Uh, also his his book Weird America, if you can find it, is is probably one of my all time favorite books. And um, I started to revisit these other alternative theories and started uh, attempting to think outside of the box a little bit. I'm particularly interested in cases uh, similar to what Greg mentioned before, where you have multiple phenomenal events uh, that seem to coalesce around one another, whether it's dimensional uh, type uh, effects or Bigfoot or crypto creatures. Um, 
you know, another thing that has developed in my, my thinking is I have a, a strong growing suspicion that the intelligence agencies and the government is much more involved in in uh, perpetrating uh, some of these cases than I think initially I, I thought. And I do think that there's a major uh, component to this whole mystery that has uh, our tax dollars and boys with toys uh, written all over it. So that's another way that my, my thinking has developed. Since meeting Ray Stanford, who is totally wedded to an ETH uh, hypothesis and is going about proving this uh, with uh, analyzing supposed hard data, um, my thinking has come back a little bit towards the ETH, but I'm still in no way, shape, or form uh, wedded to any particular theory except my own, which is that there's a tricksterish element involved in all of these subjects, and it's a it's a it's a cultural aspect that I think has has been totally overlooked in this, and and the giggle factor, the absurdity factor that seems to be prevalent in many, if not most, UFO cases, for instance, and is kind of swept under the rug. I think may have some very very valuable uh, information, and we could really get some insight into what we're dealing with uh, if we look at it in a tricksterish uh, with a tricksterish <laughs> pair of glasses on. And uh, so, in a nutshell, that's kind of how my thinking has evolved. Now, just before we split for our next hourly break, you raised something there—the tricksterish aspect of UFOs. But that also raises another kind of deception, which is deception on the part of government officials. Has the U.S. government, other governments around the world, have they been pulling tricks on us, maybe creating events that we think might be paranormal related? And I'll remind listeners when we had James Carry on, the former international director of the Mutual UFO Network, on a previous episode of the Paracast, that's what he was talking about, and that's what we're going to talk about soon. The guest... Paul Kimball, Greg Bishop, the co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you own an Apple iPhone and love to listen to your favorite programs on GCN, I've got good news for you. I'm proud to announce that GCN has a brand new iPhone app available for our dedicated listeners at GCNlive.com. Listen to your favorite hard-hitting GCN programs live or on demand right on your iPhone. And the best part? The GCN iPhone app can be yours absolutely free. Download the iPhone app today by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. This is our final hour of our special fifth anniversary episode of the Paracast. We've been here every week, 52 weeks a year. So basically, after five years, 52 episodes a year, we're still here. Our co-host is Chris O'Brien 
who became our permanent co-host just a few weeks back. Guest co-host, Greg Bishop, one of our previous co-hosts, Paul Kimball, back for an encore, and we hope more encores. So we're talking about here the government's deception, disinformation, what it's all about, and of course, some of the ideas that presented by James Carrion back in the early, late 40s, the early parts of the UFO era. Kenneth Arnold, he goes to Maury Island, that's a hoax. Roswell is some kind of government deception to cover up some other kind of event, possibly a secret weapon. So when it comes to government disinformation, deception, hoaxes, etc., Paul Kimball, where do you stand? Well, that's going to be the easiest question to answer. Yes, it's, it's happened. It continues to happen, not just related to UFOs. I think the more important question is to ask why. Does it happen because they're trying to cover up their knowledge of the answer, whatever that is, to the UFO phenomenon? And I think most people would say, well, that's aliens, right, from outer space. And to me, the answer to that is no. The engagement of various intelligence agencies, and not just in the United States, but in other countries too, including my own, with the UFO phenomenon, I have no doubt has taken place, but it has been to, for lack of a better term, cover up or distract attention away from very real terrestrial projects that our governments are putting up in the skies above us. You know, it makes it easier if you have stealth bombers or fighters or whatever they are, drone aircraft, things you don't want your enemies, and in many cases, even your friends, to know about that you're developing. Well, it's nice to have the UFO phenomenon over there because that is a way of, as Stan Friedman would say in another context, tabloidizing, tabloidizing, yes, the story and making it so that it's not taken terribly seriously. And also so that other intelligence agencies in other countries who are your enemies or perceived enemies, two things. One, maybe they write it off and say, oh, yeah, crazy UFO guys. But two, also, and I think this might have well been the case in the 1940s and 1950s, even the 60s, during the height of the Cold War, trying to convince the Soviet Union in particular that maybe you did have some sort of advanced technology. And at least, you know, put that, I, I think it was a very, very minor thread throughout all the intelligence activities that were going on to the point where minor doesn't even begin to describe it. But you know what? The intelligence agencies, they throw a lot of stuff out there and see what sticks, see what the cumulative effect of it might be. And I think, yeah, sure, the UFO phenomenon has been tied into that. It does not, however, in my view, matter. I'm, and I, Greg and I disagree. He finds it interesting, and I respect that. So that's great. And you can go down that and study it, and there are things you can probably learn about it. It's just nothing I'm terribly interested in. The phenomenon interests me, and other aspects related to it interest me. The engagement of the intelligence communities with it doesn't interest me because I know it's gone on, and I know it continues to go on, and so I'm not going to fall for it. And if other people fall for it, that's, that's up to them. Well, one other point I want to add here, Paul, too, is that possibly they're covering up the fact that they're more confused than we are. I mean, that's something that's a mantra that I keep hearing myself say. There is definitely something going on beyond black budget projects and that sort of thing. It's been going on for, for millennia. And I think that the government not having control over that or having a complete understanding of it is possibly fueling the psychological operations to make it appear that they either are in control. It is our craft. Or belittling it and ridiculing it and using it as an effective psychological uh, warfare tool. Maybe, but I think that that gives the UFO phenomenon far more credence 
than I think it actually has in mainstream society. So I don't think the government, maybe at one time, and I think in the 1950s, this was definitely true. When UFOs were reported seriously, it was big news. And, you know, there was a new frontier of science. People were very afraid and unsure of what was happening. Absolutely. I think the government might well have had an interest then in saying, well, we don't want to admit that we don't know what's flying around in our skies. I, I think the UFO phenomenon is so far under the radar of mainstream society these days or is not taken terribly seriously by those people who do pay attention to it that I don't think that reason exists anymore for the government, that they're trying to cover up their own ignorance. Because honestly, I don't think anybody cares. I don't think anybody's really asking them that question. I don't imagine somebody's going to stand up at a Barack Obama press conference and say, do you guys really know what's going on with the UFO thing? I just can't imagine that ever happening. You don't so expect I don't think- that Jeff Peckman, for example, would be no. admitted to a press conference because he's already running for mayor of, what, Denver? Well, you know, you can run for all sorts of things in the United States. You can run to be a judge, which is insane. So just because somebody's running for mayor, I don't think he's going to get a sit down with Barack Obama. I'm I just know. guessing. Of course yeah. not. I'll ask Greg his comment in a moment. I'll remind our Minor listeners. Artists. We had a guy named Gabriel Green, Amalgamated Flying Saucer Clubs of America, pro-contactee group in the 50s and 60s. He ran for president a few times. I think he might have gotten one vote. What's your opinion about this government disinformation factor, Greg Bishop? I think he got something like 44,000. He got a lot of votes, man, in, in the, in the, in the uh, election where he ran against Kennedy in 1960. Gabe Green did. Uh, That almost uh, made the difference. You know, think if we didn't have those votes and the dead voters from Chicago, maybe Richard Nixon would have been elected. Everything. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) He swayed the vote. Um, With regards to the UFO and uh, government angle or uh, intelligence agency angle. Yeah, Paul is right. I'm interested in it because I'm interested in that area. I'm interested in espionage. I'm interested in, you know, uh, spies and tradecraft and all that. It's just an interest of mine, just like I'm interested in, you know, um, um, cryptography and, and, and my paragliding and things like that. But it just happens to be that there's, there's a, um, you know, definite link between uh, intelligence agencies, specifically um, the Air Force and their, their intelligence agency and the UFO subject. Um, Partly because it can be used as a good smokescreen for other things and to keep people away from anything serious by having them make fun of it. Because uh, most people, when they hear UFO, are going to start laughing and turn the other way. And people that don't laugh and turn the other way are either, one, UFO fanatics, or two, they're people from foreign governments or people you don't want around sniffing around your facilities asking about UFOs. So it's a, it's a good tool. So, yeah, I, th- I think it's still used. And um, and I, and like Chris said, and I've been saying this for years and years, and so is Chris. I don't think the government really knows what they're dealing with with regards to the the core UFO subject. What really is going on? Some sort of extra human intelligence. They don't know what to do about it. They don't know what it is. But if they can use it to their ends, they'll use it. And, yeah. I, uh, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, and I don't think they really care. Um, in the same way that I don't think they really care about ghost investigation or whether ghosts are real or any of this stuff. I, I just don't think it's on their radar. And well, no, unless, they don't really care unless it's, it can be useful or it becomes a public relations headache, and, and uh, it's more of a useful thing to you. The, the subject is more useful to them for other, other uh, issues than we might think uh, normally. 
um, it's more useful to them than, than a public relations headache right now. And it has been for quite a while. Sure. And you should, people should always avoid, and I think um, ufology, quote, quote, does this, should avoid doing what they do, which is looking at government as some sort of monolithic agency or, or entity or even the intelligence agencies. The, yeah. the one thing you have to understand about the 1950s in particular, the 40s and the 50s, were the tremendous rivalries between the intelligence agencies, most of which were new. It wasn't something the United States did prior to World War II. They learned everything they learned basically from the British, who had been doing it throughout the <laughs> And then the Germans. <laughs> and the Germans, too. But the United States basically had no real experience in intelligence. And yet suddenly after World War II, because you're now in a Cold War with the Soviets and you're representing the West, not the British anymore, they had to take over and create these intel agencies from scratch. You had military intelligence agencies within the various service branches fighting amongst themselves, then the FBI, then the CIA, then the NSA, then all the other lettered agencies, that some of which we might not even know about today. I'll tell you what, we'll do more fighting if we don't break right now. We have Paul Kimball, Greg Bishop on our fifth anniversary episode. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. You expect professional service from your doctor, your accountant, and even the girl who takes your morning coffee order. Why not from your domain registrar, too? Namecheap.com provides stellar service with no sneaky upselling. We offer more features and security options for your website than there are ways to order a latte. And new domains come with WhoisGuard to protect your personal info. At Namecheap.com, you can get your domain for as low as $2.99. Now is a great time to get to know Namecheap.com. 58 years, fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest in all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To receive your complimentary Fate magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Gold, it's like nothing else on Earth. From the Romans through the Renaissance, from the Industrial Age to the Space Age, gold has weathered the test of time. For 6,000 years, gold has remained the ultimate store of wealth. According to the World Gold Council and the U.S. Mint, demand is at an all-time high. The stage is being set for the reemergence of gold as the common-sense alternative to a fiat paper currency that gets weaker every day. Midas Resources is proud to offer the hard-hitting report that arms you with the truth you need to protect you and your family from the Fed's plans for your hard-earned money. Don't gamble with your future. Call Midas Resources today and ask for your free copy of As Good As Gold. Call 1-800-686-223. For the report the Fed hopes you'll never see. As good as gold can be yours by calling 800-686-2237. If you have ever thought about owning gold, you must read this report. Call Midas today at 800-686-2237. This message starts with a great offer from Big Berkey Water Filters because we don't want you drinking dangerous water one minute longer. Right now, purchase any filter system from BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com to get your choice of two Berkey Sport bottles, a KDF shower filter, a set of fluoride filters, or our new Cyclass spigot absolutely free. Why do this? Because over 60% of municipal water is fluoridated, and at less than two cents per gallon, Berkey Water Filters purify both treated and untreated water, removing dangerous chlorine, fluoride, and other contaminants. 
Big Berkey water filters are powerful enough to purify stagnant pond water, so they're perfect for rainwater collection systems and emergency preparedness. Remember, Big Berkey includes free shipping on every order over $50. And GCN listeners get 5% off all ceramic filter systems. Visit B-I-G-B-E-R-K-E-Y waterfilters.com or call 877-99-BERKEY. That's BigBerkeyWaterFilters.com or call today 1-877-99-BERKEY. The five main steps to great health are detoxification, an alkaline pH, elimination of infections, optimal hormone levels, and renutrification. When all these factors are brought into play, then your body is supported to create radiant health. Of all the nutrients needed by the body, protein plays a dominant role. The type, quality, and digestibility of that protein plays a key role in how good you feel on a day-to-day basis. Of all the proteins that nature offers, one is the most digestible and offers the most benefits for the most people. It is unheated whey protein powder from grass-fed cows. One World Whey is the first ever unheated whey protein powder from grass-fed cows. It is easily digested and comes in three delicious flavors. Whether you want better energy, better blood sugar, more endurance, or clearer thinking, One World Whey is a must for you to try. Call 888-988-3325 or visit OneWorldWHEY.com. That's OneWorldWHEY.com. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. This is Jerome Clark, author of the UFO Encyclopedia and other books. You're listening to the Paracast. We have Chris O'Brien doing his best to say the Paracast in the most frightening way possible. Paul Kimball joins us, Greg Bishop, the fifth anniversary episode of the Paracast. Five years of this, we're still here. They said it could never be done, and we don't know what we're doing. But let's look at one silly theory I came up with on the Paracast a long time ago, talking to Kathleen Martin and, of course, Stanton Friedman about Barney and Betty Hill. And I tell you, I did meet Betty Hill a couple of times at UFO-related conventions, seemed to be a pretty nice woman. I called her kind of a grandmotherly type, and I always felt she was sincere. But I wondered here, revisiting Barney and Betty Hill, who live near a military base, and I guess before going into the Postal Service, Barney Hill was in the military. They have friends in the military, and we know the government has engaged in LSD experiments, mind control experiments over the years. Any possibility here that the Barney and Betty Hill case in and of itself, forgetting all the other abduction cases, just that one, may have been some kind of silly, shall we say, mind control experiment? Paul Kimball. No, um, for a couple of reasons. One, I think we would know about it by now. I mean, we know about MKUltra. We know about most of the dirty tricks that were going on in the 50s and 60s. If it was something like that, the Betty and Barney Hill story would be pretty low on the list of crazy antics that the U.S. government was up to in terms of experimenting on their own citizens. So I, I don't see any reason why they would continue to uh, – that information would not have been made public. Also, the hallmarks of the case, whatever you think about the so-called abduction enigma, I don't think that what they described as happening – if you accept what you would have to do with, with that theory, Gene, is you'd have to accept what they describe as being accurate and then say – 
Well, the government pulled it off. And I just don't think that the government at the time would have had the resources to pull off what the Hills described. And I, I find the, the Hill case is interesting because I go back to my old friend, uh, the late Carl Flock, whose idea was that aliens did visit Earth in the 40s, 50s, and 60s, basically showed up, checked us out, oh, nuclear weapons, all the things Stan talks about, see what they're up to, said, great, we'll, we'll be back, you know, in 50, 60, 100 years when you've progressed to the next level. And then they went away. And he always said that the Hill case was the one abduction case that he actually thought was a legitimate interaction between humans and extraterrestrials. I'm not saying that makes it so, but when a guy like Carl Flock, who says that all other abduction cases could be explained somehow, and then, by the way, the aliens were here but have left, said, he points to that one case and he says that one he actually thought was was interaction with aliens. I thought, That's interesting. And, you know, when a guy like Carl, who I took seriously, says something like that, it makes me take the case maybe a little more seriously than I would otherwise be inclined to. Greg Bishop, our favorite cheerleader, what do you think? <laughs> As, as far as being a military operation, I agree with Paul, uh, maybe not for the same reasons. Uh, the, the first reason being, what did you say, Paul, before you said, I don't think they could have pulled it off? I think I said something along the lines of, given what we know already about what they were doing, it would have been one of the lesser sort of right. infringements I, on people's rights. And we would yeah. know about it by now. Oh, that's what I disagreed with. I don't think we know about all the dirty tricks because – just because I think the incredibly widespread uh, implementation of them and uh, through various levels of uh, classification by that, you know, we wouldn't hear about them. A lot of those records were burned, actually, or, or destroyed in the 70s or 80s, I think, before the church committee could get to them. Sure, but I, I would say that because the Hill case is such a public case, so well known even outside ufology, I mean, mainstream, it's, it's been a feature film, there have been books. Yes. Media reports. I'm sure that I have no doubt that if the government had pulled that off, some deep throat like character would have come forward uh, either anonymously or publicly by now and would have said, you know, because sure, there's stuff that's still hidden. But that case being so public, somebody would have you would have had to have a lot of people involved. I'm sure somebody would have come forward and, and sort well, of said you, something. Yeah. Then you have the problem of somebody saying, well, how many more of these uh, abductions are, are are a result of that? Which is why I don't – that's the one thing I disagree with you. I mean if, the, if it was successful, I don't think they would have told anybody about it because it's successful. You know, keep using it. As far as the Hill case, I, I, I've said certain things about it. I've written about it and said that there are a lot of cultural antecedents to abduction, meaning in the pop culture – and about what aliens look like running around at that time, not meaning that uh, the, the Hills did not have an experience. I think they had some sort of genuine experience with something that they could not explain, whether that's something psychological or aliens from other planets or something in between. I do not know. But I think that's a very important watershed case. And for better or worse, I think was the blueprint for anything like it in the future, which I think is unfortunate because abduction research now just tends towards the 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 blueprint or the uh, the uh, template of the Barney and, and Betty Hill case and and I suppose a few after that but that you know it was such a it's such a three uh, hundred pound gorilla sitting right in the middle of abduction research that you can't really ignore it and I think I think people don't and the fact that they don't ignore it is to their peril I mean there's there's things with the abduction research community we can talk about later but and I think um, we will Chris yeah. what do you think. Well, I, I agree with both uh, Paul and Greg, and I think Greg brings up a very, uh, I think, important uh, salient point, and that is that prior to that case, uh, 
you didn't really have this. This is really the first linchpin sort of, uh, you know, as, as you said, a watershed case. There's details in there that uh, you don't find in any other cases, to my knowledge, prior to this. So I think the very fact that it was the first uh, lends credence to the reality of, of the experience. Now, what that reality was, who the players were, um, I don't. I don't get a sense that it was uh, a government military thing, but there were psychological elements that were introduced into that case that I think are very, very uh, important. Some of the details uh, that you find. I've also heard at one point the, the tape of, of uh, Barney's regression. And if that guy's acting, uh, you know, he, he could have gotten an Academy Award for that. Uh, they definitely had some very high strange experience occur to them. But I think that they were fed... Uh, Tricksterish type disinformation. Uh, I think the star map is a good good example of that. Uh, the uniforms, uh, kind of German-looking uh, uniform, uh, as it was described, for instance. Um, there are some very interesting elements to the case that do that do I think, as as Greg and Paul both both point out, make it a very pivotal, important case. And there is that aspect there still. I don't know that I can dismiss the possibility that there may have been some government involvement. Maybe some elements there. We know that the various military forces, intelligence forces, didn't always talk to each other. Certainly that was one of the complaints made during 9-11, that if everybody kind of put their heads together, they would have understood what this threat was. And I'm not going to get into the conspiracy theories that maybe our government allowed it to happen or was somehow otherwise involved. I think that's for another subject. Maybe when we have Ken Thomas on again and we talk about the conspiracy theories, we could look at that. But we look at things like the military, the intelligence agencies not talking to one another, and someone pulls off this crazy quilt UFO abduction, and maybe it's repeated, maybe it's not, maybe they don't want to admit it. This is our fifth anniversary episode of the Paracast. Our guests are Paul Kimball, former co-host, one of our guest co-hosts, Greg Bishop, and of course our regular co-hosts, Chris O'Brien. And by the way, yes, we would have liked to have had Nick Redfern, but he's traveling and wasn't able to attend. We'll have him back in the future. We've got a lot more to come on this week's fifth anniversary episode. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies, paranormal activity, and Freudian phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news, it's absolutely free, sent right to your mailbox. Plus, a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. Simply send an email with your name and address to MrUFO at WebTV.net. That's MrUFO at WebTV.net. Find out what they don't want you to know. Thank you. 
We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over five years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System today complete with two black Berkey elements for only $209 and the Berkey guy will include three sport Berkey water bottles and ship everything to you free of charge. That's right, three sport Berkey water bottles and free shipping. An $87 value, yours free. Call the Berkey guy at 1-877-886-3653. That's 1-877-886-3653. Or order online at goberkey.com. That's goberkey.com today. There's mounting evidence suggesting that there are people, governments, corporations, and whole professions intent on short-circuiting humanity's well-being. GMO, food legislation protecting big agriculture, the attempted elimination of vitamins and alternative medicines, it seems their hand has been tipped. They want to dictate your health, wealth, and your longevity. Whatever the outcome, we have a solution. Wild edible food. Why worry about food when all has been provided? We imagine that we were ejected from the garden and never invited back, but the garden's still here. There is an endless wild abundance which grows all over our green earth, just waiting for you to wake up and see it. Let author Linda Runyon teach you how to see, know, get, prepare, store, and eat wild edible food. Save money, add nutrition, and ignore the noise when you go shopping in nature's supermarket. Go to ofthefield.com and get started today. Or call 1-888-51-EAT-FREE. That's ofthefield.com or call 1-888-51-EAT-FREE. And begin to see a different world. Extend your life with Extendovite. Hi, I'm Don Wiskin, and have you ever wondered what the garlic cayenne drops could do for you? February is Heart Month, and we want you to find out just what can happen when you take the right combination of herbs designed to maintain our cardiovascular health. Purchase a four-month supply of Extendovite drops or capsules Plus, get a bonus month supply of capsules for only $125 plus shipping. That's five months worth of Extendivite for $25 per month. This is a heart month special to help get you started on your path to better health and ends February 28th. So don't be left out. Find out what Extendivite can do for you. To order, call 1-877-928-8822. That's one 1- 877-928-8822 or visit our website at heartdrop.com Extend your life with America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade We are the GCN Radio Network This is Leslie Kane and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information and you are listening to the Paracast we return two more segments left. This is the Paracast. I'm Gene Steinberg. Our co-host is Chris O'Brien. We're doing the fifth anniversary show with Greg Bishop and with Paul Kimball. And since we raise the ugly specter or otherwise of abductions, let's kind of go to this route. Maybe we're looking at Alice in Wonderland through the looking glass. Let's see what happens here. Now, unless you want to bring it up, I don't want to get into too much of the current conflict involving Emma Woods or whatever her name is and David Jacobs and Carol Rainey and, of course, Bud Hopkins, partly because I think it's all a distraction. 
I want to know what's happening with abductions, and I'd like to get all of your reactions. Other than that stuff, Paul Kimball, what can you say about abductions in general? Beyond Barney and Betty Hill, is it still happening? Are these cases more than just some kind of mental aberration? What? Read The Abduction Enigma by Kevin Randall, Russ Estes, and Dr. William Cohn. And um, brevity is the source of wit. That would be about all I have to say on the abduction enigma. It's it's not something that I find terribly interesting, frankly. Uh, and, you know, the current brouhaha, I think, has largely played itself out. And I talked about that on Greg's show a week ago. So, yeah, read the abduction enigma. It's uh, I, For me, it pretty much covers everything that you need to know. The one area I would disagree with my good friend Kevin Randall on is I still think that the Betty and Barney Hill cases we were discussing is of interest, even though I'm not sure what it represented. Now, in short, for those who haven't read the book, can you give us maybe the Reader's Digest or quick, snappy, pithy comment version of what it concludes? No. No, yeah. Um, Basically, that the abduction phenomenon can be explained using um, prosaic means that and and not just one explanation. I think that's the mistake that people have consistently made. You would look at somebody like Susan Clancy's work, and she explains an aspect of it or some aspects of it, and you say, "Oh, well, she's trying to explain everything." But what about these cases over here? And it's a very broad sort of phenomenon. And I think Kevin and his co-writers were more or less right that, as we understand it, the modern alien abduction phenomenon is wholly explainable. Is there still some sort of thing there that might be of interest that might actually have a paranormal aspect to it? Maybe. And I underline maybe 20 times. Some few cases divorced, if you can pull them away from the mess that is alien abduction, so-called research, uh, that, that has arisen over the last 20 or 30 years, courtesy of Jacobs and Hopkins and everybody else. But I think it's become so difficult to the point of being impossible to divorce the two that whatever the abduction enigma or phenomena is, if there was a paranormal component to it, I think is lost. I think the ability to try and get at what that is, is gone for now. And it will take a different generation, perhaps, of researchers to tackle it in a different way, maybe, to see if there is something there, that's something that predates the alien meme that has been around for the last 30 years. Um, and, then, you know, that it seems like a sort of self-contradictory answer, but there you go. That's the paranormal. Even within an answer, you start at point A, five minutes later you're at point B, and maybe you're saying something that contradicted point A. But it's the thought process. You, you have to be thinking. So, yeah, I think the vast majority of them can be explained. I think Kevin et al. have done that and did it quite some time ago and pointed out the problems of hypnosis and everything else. But, you know, is there still a, a core enigma there? Maybe but it's not going to be anybody around right now that figures out what that is. Before Greg and Chris comment, let me ask you one quick question, Paul Kimball. And that is the people who have been so troubled, so traumatized by abductions, we assume then that they should be treated by proper mental health professionals to see what the process is and what's going on? Yes, absolutely. The problem is that they will get answers that they don't like. Um, and you see that sometimes within UFO research. They'll say, oh, these people are telling them that, you know, I paraphrase, they're just crazy. Well, maybe some of them are crazy, as that term is commonly understood. And not using that term, maybe a lot of them really do have some psychological problems that are better addressed by trained professionals who might not give you the answers you want, 
that you're being abducted by aliens or whatever. And Kevin and every, those guys address that in their book, why people gravitate towards this alien abduction answer and what that says about them and what that says about the researchers, too. It's, it's a fascinating book. Uh, I interviewed Kevin for a film years ago, and he gave me a copy at the end of the interview. And I would put that book on my list of five books that are must-read books dealing with the UFO phenomenon. Greg's Project Beta being another one. Okay, Greg, why'd you drop in? You've been referred to, you've been mentioned. What's your reaction? About the abduction abduction thing and what it might be and the state of it and all that? Let's go for all of that. <laughs> well, uh, as far as Paul is concerned, everything that he said, I, uh, pretty much the same thing I wanted to say. However, um, he seems to place less faith in the... Uh, in the, the quote-unquote reality of an abduction than I do. I think there ha is something going on. I think there has been something going on. It involves something that's non-human in a few cases interacting with us, and it's been going on for thousands of years. Now, the, the, the uh, character that takes, of course, and most people listening will agree with this, is based on the uh, culture of the time and the individual that experiences it. The problem now, I think, and the, for the, since Betty and Barney Hill up to now, has been that there is a reigning idea, consciously and subconsciously, and maybe even um, collectively unconsciously, about what we are seeing and what it is, quote-unquote. Um, and I, I think probably the only way to fix that or change it or have it to move forward, and I've been asked this before, is to drop abduction research probably for five years or so. It's and too highly it contaminated is what you're saying. Yes, it's highly contaminated. It started again with new people and absolutely refused to use um, hypnotic regression and see what happens. I, I would wager that the uh, abduction uh, enigma, the, uh, whatever the, the, whatever is happening to people, would, one, change, and two, become a lot more diverse than it is right now. And there would be a lot of people would drop off the map saying, oh, I guess it's not aliens anymore, too. I uh, as I've said before, I think when there is this interaction between us and whatever this non-human thing is, we, at our peril, discount our contribution to that interaction, um, meaning our, our perception is, is, uh, is hampered by, by our culture, by our subconscious, by, um, and probably a hundred other factors that we're not aware of right now. Uh, but we contribute to that interaction with our perception uh, to whatever that uh, on top of whatever that um, experience is, and and there and I believe in in a certain few cases, maybe more than a few, there is an interaction with something that is that is outside the consciousness of the abductee or experiencer or whatever you want to call them. Chris, I couldn't agree more, Greg. I I, I don't think uh, you can throw the uh, proverbial, proverbial baby out with the bathwater at the core. I do uh, sense that there are true cases that tie in with ancient uh, interpretations, uh, medieval interpretations, whether it's Incubus or Succubi or, or um, I think some of the uh, Middle Eastern countries have some pretty interesting traditions relating to this. It goes back uh, centuries. But I think with the introduction of the alien meme into this, I think it's totally muddy the waters. I think we're, we do have uh, needy people who, who are crying out for help, and that cannot be uh, you know, uh, stated and understated. I, I, I do feel that there are people that need help, whether it's trying to figure out which abduction researcher is most in line with whatever 
you're dealing with and then going to that person to get validation uh, is an answer. I, I don't believe it is. And, you know, I, I, I do really think that it's it's a real it's a whirlpool that you get caught into, I think. And, and I, you know, people need to be helped. And I think the mental health prof- profession should step up to the plate and uh, provide recourse for people. You know, Paul's uh, observation that uh, uh, oftentimes people aren't too pleased to hear something that they don't want to hear. Uh, we have to somehow get around that. I think these there are people that need help, and uh, I don't see abduction research in its present form as supplying the necessary help that these people are crying out for. This is the fifth anniversary edition of the Paracast. We have Paul Kimball. We have Greg Bishop. Our co-host is Chris O'Brien. We're back for one more. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com The food storage industry leader has done it again. Introducing FDG Clubs and Survival Bucks from the Freeze-Dry Guy. For over 39 years, the Freeze-Dry Guy has served various government agencies and the private sector with the finest in storable foods and emergency rations. If you've wanted to build emergency food supplies but couldn't afford it, now you can. Go to freezedryguy.com, click on products, and look for the Freeze-Dry Guy Clubs to pay as you go. Now you can build food storage without going into debt. Choose from a payment range of $95 to $450 per month. Our clubs work with everyone's budget. Plus, when you join Freeze Dry Guy Clubs, you'll get additional rewards. For example, this month, get 10% back in survival bucks on all purchases in the Freeze Dry Guy product line, plus free shipping within the lower 48 states on any order amount. Hurry, go to FreezeDryGuy.com or call 866-404-3663. That's FreezeDryGuy.com or call 866-404-3663. The Freeze Dry Guy, the best you can buy. If you owe money to the IRS, you can't make the problem go away by yourself. But with the help of Dan Pilla, you can get your problem solved once and for all. Hi, I'm Dan Pilla. For 30 years, I've helped thousands of people solve their tax debt problem, and I can help you solve yours, too. We take a very simple but proven three-step approach to solving your problem. First, we stabilize IRS collection actions so you don't have to worry about the IRS seizing your bank account or paycheck. Next, we build a comprehensive plan to get your tax debt reduced to the fullest extent possible, sometimes even completely eliminated. And finally, we work with you every step of the way to get your problem solved once and for all. Call us for a free consultation. Call 1-800-346-6829. We'll work together to get your problem solved guaranteed. Dan Pilla has been protecting taxpayers from the IRS for three decades, and he can help you too. 
Call us today at 800-346-6829. That's 800-34-NO-TAX. Normal blood pressure, naturally. How would that make you feel? I'm Don from New Mexico. January of 2000, I had a heart attack. Then my real health began going downhill, and I had uh, high blood pressure, high blood sugar, poor vision, and I really wasn't sleeping well. I was a mess, pretty much. Don reports dramatic improvements with heart and body extract. I started taking uh, heart and body extract, and from within a few days, I started sleeping a lot better. My blood pressure uh, normalized, my blood sugar normalized, and uh, my sleep really did improve. Experience these benefits and more when your body gets what it needs with the assistance of heart and body extract. Order at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305. That's hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305. Folks, I did not expect this at all. By the 7th, 8th, and 9th day, I saw dramatic improvements from taking heart and body extract. Details at hbextract.com or call 866-295-5305 for heart and body extract. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Hi, this is Ted Phillips listening to the Paracast, and it's as good as it gets, believe me. Hey, if you have a question or a comment to make about the Paracast, write us, news at theparacast.com. Once again, that's news at theparacast.com. Yes, neighbors, we read every message we get. Okay, it's come to this, the fifth anniversary episode of the Paracast. Paul Kimball, Greg Bishop, the co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. We started in the last portion to cover abductions. And I think we all kind of agree that maybe it's getting too much emphasis and we have to move on. It may be that abductions are nothing more than some kind of mental process we need to understand better. Maybe it's sleep paralysis. I don't know. I think, though, in my own opinion, if a person thinks they've been abducted, they should go to a mental health professional, see what's going on, see if they can figure out what's happening, what has happened, what is happening. David Halpern, who was on... The Paracast a couple of weeks ago thought that maybe repressed memories of sexual abuse may have been partly responsible for at least some of the cases. I don't know. I would, however, just to mention briefly before we move on with regard to a certain case that's getting a lot of publicity, when your therapist says, I can't help you, let's contact a civilian, non-therapist, UFO investigator to figure out what your abduction is, go find another therapist. That's what I have to say. Let's move on. One of the goals, I guess, with the paranormal research with UFOs is some kind of resolution. We want answers. Paul Kimball, can we ever find answers? No. And yes. Depends on what kind of answers you're looking for. Are you looking for answers like, you know, what are UFOs or what are ghosts or whatever, you know, whatever? No. Some broad, unified field theory, some particular answer. You can explain certain cases that's what you take the UFO phenomenon. You should be trying to say, okay, we can, that was this. It's now an IFO. That was this. I think the answers that everybody should be seeking, and I've said this uh, more and more frequently over the last year or two, are more personal answers that, you know, treat it as a mystery, treat it as something that's fun, frankly, and that might teach you something about yourself and the world around you. And if you follow that path, you might actually wind up learning more than if you're, you know, you're part of some concerted effort to discover the secret of the cosmic Watergate or whatever. 
And also, don't honestly don't take it so you know, like Bill Shatner on Saturday Night Live. Don't take it so seriously. Get out of your basement, your mother's basement or whatever. Live your lives. Realize that there's a lot of fun things going on in the world. UFOs are just part of it. It's not the be-all and end-all of existence. Until the aliens come down and plant their flag on our planet, who knows? So let's treat it as a mystery. And let's try and you know the, get that gee whiz, this is cool factor back into it again. And I think that would be the answer that I think we should all be looking for is... The answer is let's make it fun and realize the journey is as important as getting to the destination. Greg? I think that there will be an answer, so, so-called, but it's just going to be a step because whatever it is, and this is sort of in deference to Chris and his trickster theory, whatever it is, is, quote unquote, if you're talking about UFOs specifically, um, and maybe something extra human that we have contact with, which are may in in some ways be completely separate from the UFO question. Uh, whatever that is, as soon as we figure out what we think it is, it's going to, it's not going to be the whole of the mystery and it's going to continue because I think that mystery is, is um, self-built, self-designed or whatever, by whatever it is, maybe it's even us to lead us on to something else and not, not ever have the exact answer and, and take us on more of a journey uh, as Paul was saying of self-discovery and and the other part of that is I think if there is some breakthrough, and like I said before at the beginning of the show, there is some breakthrough. It's not going to come from uh, Stan Friedman or Kevin Randall or, or Richard Dolan or Bud Hopkins or any of these people. The, the breakthrough is going to come from somebody completely outside the UFO community who decides that this is a serious subject worth looking at and worth spending some time on and worth looking at the data maybe in a different way. That if there is going to be any kind of an answer or a step, I think it's going to be more like a step. It's going to come from outside the UFO community. And I think the UFO community should embrace that instead of saying if a ufologist, whatever that is, discovered it, that that's the only way that makes it important. Because nobody's stepping on your turf. What they're trying to do, if they do that, is to make it, uh, to give us more answers, more accessibility to the subject, to the mystery, and to have uh, more people understand it. Because, um, you know, get, getting information out there to the most people with the, with, in the most comprehensive and, and, and comprehend, comprehending, understandable way is probably the most important thing that can be done about, about any of these mysteries, and particularly the UFO one. Let me just add really quickly, because I know you're running out of time, but building on what Greg said, if it was discovered tomorrow that some UFOs were, like if they landed on the White House lawn, aliens from outer space, I guarantee you that no current UFO researcher would ever be heard of again, other than than as a citizen of the United States or Canada or this world that would have an equal say with all the other citizens about what we should do about it. But... If that answer ever does arrive, every UFO researcher currently working now is irrelevant because it will be smarter people um, in other areas that will be tasked to deal with that that issue from there on in. Chris O'Brien, what's your comment about what Greg and Paul have said so far? Well, I, I agree. I, I, I think that a really important element to this, it's 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 finding out about your place in the universe and in, in your your process. I think that it's it's very personal and very individual. But at the same time, one thing that uh, Greg just hinted at is I think there's a collective uh, agenda as well. And uh, my friend David Perkins uh, has come up with an idea called the evolutionary imperative that perhaps we are collectively manifesting phenomena that are designed by us in the collective to draw us off planet before our sun goes supernova, we get hit by an asteroid, 
or somehow destroy our world. We need to get humanity out into the stars and and start populating the the cosmos, like similar to a, a breath of wind that blows little dandelion seeds across your lawn. So I, I think this is another potential uh, answer, but. Will we ever know what the true answer is? I, I tend to agree with Paul. I don't think so. I think that it, there's a self-nullification aspect to this that will, as Greg pointed out, will always keep us guessing. As soon as you discover a pattern, you'll get the data to support it. You think you've solved something. You think you've made a step forward, and boom. I guarantee you the data will give you 180-degree opposite <laughs> patterns to nullify what you think you've discovered. So there is a built-in self-nullification uh, aspect to this whole thing. Or the three men in black will come to your door and say, hey, you found out the secret Albert K. Bender. You have to shut up about it. But maybe that didn't happen at all. Paul Kimball, we have a couple of minutes left. Take a few moments to tell about the stuff that you're working on once again and where they can find more of the things you do. Sure. You can go to um, my company's new website, www.redstarfilmtv.com, and uh, actually a sequel to Best Evidence, not through the traditional network method, but this time using things like Indiegogo, Kickstarter, and trying to connect with that younger generation and raise money that way to do a film. I always wanted to do a sequel that was going to be called The UFO Phenomenon Beyond Best Evidence. So you have all your cases. You can show that there's an objective reality. Something is happening. You know, okay, let's ask the big questions. What does it all mean? What are, you know, not the answers, but from that point on, what are the questions that we should be asking? And so, yeah, that's the film, the one paranormal, shall we say, related film that I hope to uh, get off the ground over the next few months and start making. Greg Bishop. Well, I'm, uh, I've got time now to do uh, different things. So I want, what I'm going to be doing is resurrecting the uh, Radio Mysterioso site so that people can once again download the shows, uh, including the, the, the uh, very uh, uh, loud and contentious, not with each other, show that Paul and I did last week and mm -hmm. probably contribute a little bit more to UFO Mystic. And uh, and some projects here, writing projects that I'm working on that um, continue some stuff I was doing with Mac Tony's, actually. So we'll see what happens in the next few months and a uh, year or so with that. Chris O'Brien, tell us about the stuff you're involved with. Well, I have my SLV camera project, which uh, is desperately hoping for warmer weather. Uh, 30 Below is not very kind to uh, electronics. And, uh, of course, uh, the, uh, the forum.paracast.com. Uh, I'm a moderator on the Paracast forums and... I do have a website, OurStrangePlanet.com. This has been just a fascinating five years, an incredible adventure of discovery, and we hope for five more years of the Paracast, where we'll be hearing from all these guys and a lot more. Paul Kimball, Greg Bishop, Chris O'Brien, our co-host, thanks for joining us this week on the Paracast. Cool. Good talking with you guys. Good job, guys. Yeah, th thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks here, too. I've, I've always uh, want people to hear something different, I have to say, instead of complaining about the last thing I said, and this, this one went very well, thanks. <laughs> the Paracast is a copyrighted presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast. Paracast.